uh, welcome back, the Dyad. It has been a couple of months. We we decided, well, I, I guess f- the fates decided for us that we were going to take off on Thanksgiving, um, largely due to my crazy schedule with everything going on. But it was kind of nice to be able to focus just on just on holiday stuff. Uh, how have uh, how have you been these last couple of months? It's been, uh, you know, we've been doing okay. We've had a lot of illness being passed around in our family, so that's kind of been a drag, but um, nothing serious, just colds, flus, that sort of thing, and yeah, just can't seem to be, all get healthy at the same time. That's rough, man. We we had that back in October. We had something kind of making the rounds, but and I still have a little bit of lingering um, upper respiratory stuff from that. Uh, I guess this is 40, so. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, you know, I've been dealing with some other, like, extended family stuff, but for the most part, it has, it's been good. Life is good. Nothing, nothing too particular to complain about, aside from that, that's, that family stuff going on. Um, did you get enough turkey? I did. I got plenty of turkey. Uh, my in-laws saved me both of the legs because they know that's my, my favorite part and nobody else else really cares okay. too much, but I love turkey legs. Um, so, uh, <laughs> what's your favorite yeah. side then? That's a controversial opinion. Oh I think. gosh. See, it depends on where I am in general. I would have to say sweet potato casserole because I, I'm a sweets kind of guy. And it's, you know, you can have it as a side, even though it probably belongs on the dessert table. But at my, the the usual Thanksgiving that I go to is my wife's parents host Thanksgiving for the extended family. So all of my wife's cousins and their families come over and we kind of make a big deal out of it, do like a potluck type thing. Mm -hmm. And one of her cousins always brings corn casserole, which... It's it's really just kind of it's cornbread but with more corn and a little less bread. It it that doesn't make it sound as appetizing as it is. It's just it's really simple. I think I can it's, picture it. Uh, it's really rich. Um, it it really is kind of just like really moist cornbread with whole pieces of kernel corn in it, and it's uh it's really nice. I like it a lot. So yeah, that sounds you? great. What is your favorite holiday feast side? I think that um, I I think that actually uh, my two favorites are the older I get, the more I like these because they are very particular to Thanksgiving and I I would say stuffing and cranberries. I don't they're just things that I don't ever get to eat throughout the year. I mean you know I could go and make my own stuffing on in July if I wanted to, but I don't. So I think for that reason, yeah. this feels like really get into that for the holiday. There is something really special about uh, I almost I didn't used to like stuffing at all. My dad tells me it was because my grandma's stuffing wasn't good. Um, <laughs> but I didn't used to like it. But there is something just really nice about getting um, some turkey, some stuffing, maybe a little mashed potatoes, mm-hmm. and then some brown gravy yeah. over the whole thing, and just getting a big fork full. Mm, that's good stuff. Never was able to get into cranberry sauce. But uh, I do not begrudge anybody. My co-host on BG Mania, Brian, can just grab a spoon and go through a can of the stuff. So <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah to each to each their own. That's what Thanksgiving's all about. <laughs> I also have to yeah. give a shout out to something that I really should like uh, that my my family brings called green bean bundles, which is um, 
fresh green beans, usually about four mm-hmm. or five of them maybe, um, wrapped in bacon and then oh. sprinkled with brown sugar and butter and baked. And it's good for whatever reason. It it the, it is less than the sum of its parts, in my opinion, but it's a big hit. Thanks Interesting. And they're not bad at all. It's good stuff. That sounds good. I may make yeah. that tomorrow just for the for the fun <laughs> of it. Yeah, and I mean it's versatile. You could, uh, if you want to make it fancy, you could put in asparagus instead of green beans, or uh, you know mm-hmm. whatever you like. You, you want to make it uh, more, I guess, casual. Uh, put in some French fries. You know, whatever you want to do. <laughs> yeah, it's just some more strips of bacon, even. But you know, it's uh, interesting as we talk about all this. Um, the the movies, uh, that's right, plural movies that we're going to be talking about today. Uh, actually start at Thanksgiving, but there's not a whole lot of food in the movies, not a whole lot of holiday cuisine no, going right. around because they're focused on um, another holiday tradition, especially for, for Gentiles. <laughs> um, and mm-hmm. that is the uh, the tradition of Santa Claus. And uh, for those of you who are just joining us, and this is your first episode, it's going to be a little bit of a weird one to join us on, but um, you're welcome. This is uh, a podcast where the dyad, who, as you heard in the intro, is a lawyer, and uh, I, Bedroth, who am not, discuss movies that feature some sort of legal shenanigans uh, from the standpoint of uh, a professional, the dyad, and uh, just a regular old guy, me. And we just kind of talk about, uh, we hit the movie kind of point by point, and then we discuss whether, how good of a movie it is, and whether it would hold up in the uh, public court of legal opinion. Did I I explain (laughs) that well? What do you think? You did. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, I I forgot, I had a calendar reminder, because I still owe some sentences, some creative sentences for the last movies that we we went through, because now... I don't know if you recall, but for uh, our last episode, we sentenced uh, Devil's Advocate to be burned at the stake. So I still need to go back and, <laughs> and right. I haven't forgotten. I mean, I have forgotten. I remembered for a while and then I forgot, but I'm remembering again. So I'll, in fact, I'm going to write it down. Well, it, it is um, the end of the year, uh, our first year, because we I, I think we started in January. Um uh, so before we get into our double feature of uh, this month of Miracle on 34th Street, why don't we um, do a quick retrospective? So we started out with probably the highest of high bars when it comes to this, this subgenre with My Cousin Vinny. And then you may have to help me because I'm looking at any notes. We followed that up with, um, was it A Few Good Men? Is that our second one? Yes, I think so. Okay, A Few Good Men. <laughs> And then I don't I don't label it. I would just label mine by number. So I was right. looking. I was like, I tried to open my files there, and I was like, that'll do it. Nope. I'm gonna see if I can do it, and then then I'm gonna cheat and look at look at the list. I believe our third uh-huh. one was trial and error. Yep. <clears throat> and then we pivoted and we started ping ponging serious yep. and funny for a little bit. Serious and funny. Yep. And then we did uh, from the hip, which mm-hmm. was somehow both serious and funny, and just just really odd. Uh, <laughs> allegedly funny. Such a unique viewing. Um. I was glad you picked that one because I, it never would have crossed my radar other, uh, um, aside from that. Um, then we moved to, let me see, that would have been my next one. And I'm coming up blank. I can't remember what we watched between From the Hip and 
then I know you picked. Um, Wasn't it it um, uh, the Matthew McConaughey? Uh, it was. Yeah, we watched um, a time to kill. A, a time, time to, to kill. kill. Yes. So after From the Hip, A Time to Kill, then we went to And Justice for All with uh, mm-hmm. Al Pacino, um, your pick. Really, really good pick. And we had a little bit of space in between these. So even though we have been doing this since the beginning of the year, we don't have 12 episodes. Um, I believe And Justice for All, we followed up with The Devil's Advocate. Is that right? Yep. I think so. I think that's right. Okay. And then now we're moving on to, this will be episode eight, Miracle uh, on 34th Street. Ryan, that's enough. I'm sorry, he, uh, he thinks you're Santa Claus. <laughs> I am. <gasps> Merry Christmas. Uh, Merry, Merry Christmas. Nuts, I should've got his autograph. So, a double feature double feature because we are going to be talking about both the 1947 original version of the film and the 1994 version of the film now i've got opinions i'm i'm sure you do i've uh, i've got opinions that are i would say much more mild um i i have some nostalgia for the, the newer version of the film because i grew up with it and my wife also oh, grew up with it so it's a family favorite and the original oh, version. Oh, oh, back my comments. Yeah, the original version, uh, for whatever reason, never really crossed our radar. This was my first time. This year was my first time really sitting down and, and watching it and paying attention to it. So, um, kind of a unique perspective. What, what about you? What is your history? I had never seen the remake. Um, I had seen the original when I was a kid, but um, I think maybe only once. And. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I didn't really remember it well. I like, I remember just the very, like, I could maybe give you like a Wikipedia style overview of the movie before. <laughs> and now having watched it, I was, uh, I, I was surprised at how little I remembered about the movie. Yeah. So it's um, basically fresh on both of them. Well, good. Um, I think we're going to have some some kind of interesting perspectives on this. I definitely want to encourage anybody who's listening to, uh, you know, talk to us, let us know which version of the film did you um, watch growing up? If, if either, uh, what are your opinions about the two films? And uh, as we're heading into 2023, what are some movies that you would like us to, to put on the docket? We'd love to love to hear more recommendations. We've had a couple, I think come in, uh, but yeah. Um, so what we're going to do, well, why don't you d- describe um, how we decided 10 minutes ago that we're going to approach <laughs> this uh, sure. this new format that we're doing for the holiday. So uh, we're going to do our typical uh, kind of beat by beat, blow for blow of the, starting with the original movie. And then for the remake, 
we will maybe focus a little bit more on the differences between the remake and the original because it is largely the same story. Um, I will say that the legal parts in the movies are actually uh, have like a fair amount of differences, so there mm-hmm. maybe will be more space to you know diverge in the two there. But um, that's at least that's the plan. We'll start with the ori- the original and then kind of compare it rather than do two complete reviews. Yeah, plot wise, um, it was very similar. There was only one significant difference in, in I think the the plots, and they served the same purpose. It just kind of went about it a different way, and mm-hmm. the. Uh, but yeah, the the legal portion of the film, which doesn't it's t- doesn't take up much of this movie. Uh, there there was another film we watched where there was a little bit less actual legal stuff than I think we would have expected. I want to say it was Time to Kill, where uh, percentage wise, um, the legal stuff, especially the courtroom stuff, didn't take up as much time on on screen, mm-hmm. and. Um, these, I would say, are kind of the same way. Um, there, there's not as much legal stuff as you would find in The Devil's Advocate or certainly something like um, And Justice for All, which is probably the most, um, you know, legal heavy of the films that we've watched. Right. Um, and then you have ones that are kind of kind of in the middle, like My Cousin Vinny and Trial and Error, um, although mm-hmm. in very different ways. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, <laughs> I, I guess if I were to sum it up, I would say one of these movies is much more nostalgic and one of them is much more sentimental. And hmm. as we, as we finish up our closing comments, we'll kind of get into which one I think is which, but all right. Well, I know usually I kind of go through the plots. Um, do you want to stick with that or would you like to kind of take the lead this time? Um, I, <clears throat> I will let you and uh, the reason why is I, I took notes, but only on the legal part. I watched the movie, <laughs> and I can I can probably tell you, but not in, like, great detail. So, uh, <clears throat> you know. Yeah. So, uh, the film starts out, uh, I'll say the 1947 version of Miracle on 34th Street, uh, which was initially released as The Big Heart in the United Kingdom, um, was a... Um, we see, it was a George Seaton film, written and directed by George Seaton, based on a story by Valentine Davies. It stars Maureen O'Hara, John Payne, Natalie Wood, and Edmund Gwynn in the um, main role of Chris Kringle. Although, interestingly, uh, Gwynn was actually nominated for and won an Oscar for Best Actor in a Supporting Role. I, I don't know. This this was really kind of an ensemble movie. I would say mm-hmm. there wasn't really one single main character in either version, but it, it's really all about um, Gwen's Chris Kringle. He's the, the focus of right. the movie. So, um, and uh, Maureen O'Hara is the uh, I guess would probably be the main character if there is one. Uh, she is she plays Doris Walker who is an event director for Macy's, the department store, the famous department store in New York. And she is also the divorced uh, single mother of Susan Walker, who in this version is played by young Natalie Wood. Uh, John Payne plays uh, an attorney who has recently rented the front apartment um, in the uh, or on the floor where the Walkers live. And... Uh, he is, his name in this version, 
Not sure why they mm-hmm. changed this one in the new version, but I'm having to look it up because I'm so familiar with uh, the original. Mr. Gailey. Yes, Mr. Gailey. Uh, <clears throat> they changed like almost all of the names. It's very fascinating which ones they decided to keep. Yeah. Because yeah. she's Fred Doreen Gailey. in the new one. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But the but the girl is still Susan. It's, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. So we have um, we have Doris Walker. Um, we have Susan Walker, her daughter. We have Fred Gailey, her neighbor, and we have Chris Kringle. Um, uh, there are a couple other characters. I'm not going to do the rundown of the cast on on every single one of them. Uh, I will mention one particular character who I think it's it's fun because he pops up in both movies, but. Um, yeah, so we start out at the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, which, mm-hmm. fun fact, uh, this was actually, what you see in the movie was actually the parade that year. They had to film the parade as it oh, was that's going cool. on um, and kind of uh, put everything, you know, fill everything in. And um, Maureen O'Hara, who had recently moved back to uh, to Ireland shortly after World War II, um uh, came back to the state specifically to do this film after she had read the script because originally she wasn't going to take it, and she was kind of worried about shopping in New York because she was she was really famous at this time, and the mm-hmm. assistant director uh, told her, "Don't worry about it. It's New York. Nobody's going to pay attention to you. Just don't draw attention to yourself. Don't wear a scarf and sunglasses or anything like that. Just shop." And he was right. Nobody cared. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, so a lot of this is on site. Um, and uh, Doris, as I mentioned, is the events coordinator for the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. And the movie actually opens up on uh, Chris Kringle, on Gwen's character of Chris Kringle, who is walking by this store display of um, Santa and his reindeer. And in kind of mm-hmm. an amusing um, interaction uh, that reminded me really hard of the tone of um, It's a Wonderful Life, which is also one of my wife's favorite movies. I'm sorry, the store isn't open today. And oh, I'm I don't just... want to buy anything, and I'm sorry to interrupt you in your work. But I wanted to tell you you're making a rather serious mistake. Huh? With the reindeer, I mean. You've got Cupid where Blitzen should be. And Dasher, oh, Dasher should be on my right-hand side. He should, huh? Yes. Yeah. Oh, and another thing. Donna's antlers are but four points instead of three. Still, I don't suppose anybody had noticed that except myself. No, I don't suppose so. Well, bye. Not at all. Thanks. Glad to have helped you. Bye. And you can see on the guy's face that he's getting more and more concerned um, that the man he's talking to right. may be a bit unhinged. And uh, But yep. Chris Kringle it seems like just a very nice, very affable, um, really good dude. And uh, that is, I mean, that's the... Uh, that is the, the vibe that you get from this guy throughout the whole film. So... Mm-hmm. But he um, approaches the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade Santa and discover uh, he's trying to kind of help him out with his uh, his Santa shtick. Giving him and some advice. Do what? Go ahead. <clears throat> he's giving him some advice. He tells him how to hold the whip and he's like chatting him up and, you know, like two two professionals, two professional Santas yeah. trading, trading tips. Right. Except. Except, yeah, it comes out that uh, this other Santa is maybe not so professional. <laughs> And um, he's actually drunk. (laughs) So um, Kringle goes to find um, Miss Walker and informs her of what's going on. This enrages Kringle. Yes, he is. uh, 
he is completely indignant, tells the man he should be ashamed of himself, that he is representing, you know, this this mm-hmm. figure to all of these innocent children. And, you know, what what what, what kind of example is he setting and et cetera. Uh, you see right. how much how much the um, integrity of who Santa is and how he is portrayed means to Kringle. Um, yeah. He's still very uh, I wouldn't say calm. He's very collected, even in his anger, um, you know, uh, kind of admirably. But he he is very assertive when he goes to talk to Miss Walker about a situation. And mm-hmm. uh, the intoxicated Santa is um, stripped of both his title and his Santa suit. And Miss Walker <laughs> persuades Chris to take his place. And uh, he does um, a bit begrudgingly um, and only because he doesn't want the children to be disappointed. That's that's what decides him. And that scene has one of my favorite actually probably has my favorite line in either of the two movies when they're trying to sober up the Santa. And she says, um, so get get this guy some some black coffee. And the Santa goes, yeah, black coffee with a little cream, please. <laughs> I don't know why. I just that I like that. It made me laugh. I beg your pardon, sir. You seem to have got slightly mixed up with this with you. Allow me, will you? Allow me. It's quite simple, really. Don't mind if I show you, eh? No, sir. Now, now. It's all in the wrist. Yes, of course, it's through, you know. Is that so? Yes, it's just like throwing a ball. If you were to... (laughs) You've been drinking. Well, it's cold. A man's got to do something to keep warm. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. Don't you realize there are thousands of children lining the streets, waiting to see you? (laughs) Children who've been dreaming of this moment for weeks? You're a disgrace to the tradition of Christmas, and I refuse to have you malign me in this fashion. Mr. Walker, one yes. of the men in your parade is not fit to receive What are you doing ch- out of costume? Now get back and get dressed. Oh, I'm terribly sorry. I thought you were our Santa Claus. Your Santa Claus is intoxicated. Oh, no. Yes, it's disgraceful. How can you allow a man to get Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle bells. Stop that. What do you mean by drinking? You know it's not allowed. The man's cold. A man's got to do something to keep warm. I'll warm you. I ought to take this cane and... And I ought to... uh, Somebody, Julian, get some black coffee. Uh, Plenty of it. Yes, of course. Black with a little cream. Uh, Wake me up when the parade starts. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle bells. Absolutely shameful. Could you be Santa Claus? Have you had any experience? Oh, a little. Oh, please, you've got to help me out. Madam, I am not in the habit of substituting for spurious Santa Clauses. No. Oh, please. No, I... I... Oh, well, then. The children mustn't be disappointed. All right, I'll do it. Oh, good, thank you. Come on, right, right this way. It, it, it's funny, the, um, the intoxicated Santa... Uh, comes off as a bit more of just kind of a bumbling, um, but ultimately not super threatening guy in this version. And this is the only scene right. with him in it in in the forty seven version of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, then Chris takes over, and we we never hear from Drunk Santa again. Um, which I, I think I, I he's love. the. I didn't look up the actor, but just from my ear, he sounds like he's the voice of Sheer Ka uh, from the Jungle Book. I, I should should have looked oh. it up earlier because I meant to, but. Um, he sounded similar to me. I think they might be the same guy. 
Okay, I gotta, I gotta fact check that. Hold on. <laughs> Sh- shouldn't, shouldn't be throwing out guesses willy nilly like that. I do have another. Uh, hey, it's that person in the in the in the next one. I'll I'll tell you when we get oh, there. In the next one, okay. Mm-hmm, in the remake, uh, yeah. I, I I had one in uh, in this one. Um, oh, okay. That's uh, yeah, that popped up a little bit later on. Um, but uh, yeah, there are a couple in the next one who are actually returning <laughs> to the to the podcast. We have seen them before, so um, let me see here. You get to hear the just riveting. I'm looking for it also because now I'm research. Curious. Wow, this guy with the he was in a lot of uh, a lot of movies. This actor, the voice actor. So I don't know if that was. I want to say Tony something. The one who played Shere Khan is. Uh, Hold on, where's the his name? Is Sterling Holloway? So I don't think that's the same guy. But okay, I thought it was Sterling Holloway. Yeah. I might have been thinking of the uh, the newer voice of Shere Khan, um, the one who kind of t- took over. Um, yeah, Sterling Holloway was the Doesn't original. Look like it. Um, and uh, Tony J. Tony J. is the one who I was thinking of. He's the one who I was associated with Shere Khan. He was also the voice of um, uh, Count Frollo uh, in Hunchback of Notre Dame. He's done a lot of really, really classic voices. He's a um, he's a big one. Shere Khan. So most the drunk recent. Santa is is Percy Helton in the 1947 one. So I don't know okay. what else he's in, but Percy Helton. Let's see. I I came across a couple of voices that were familiar to me in this movie and i think it might have just been because of like our our sort of deep-seated memories of old films <laughs> uh-huh. um but i'm not seeing much uh looks like he was in a couple of shows he was in the wild wild yeah. west uh beverly hillbillies uh get smart uh batman um the uh the older version um just similar sounding fella I guess that's yeah. it. Looks like probably a character actor. He did kind of bit roles in a lot of, a whole lot of things. Man, this guy's got a long list. Um, I, Both I have of to those mention, actors. Yeah. I have to mention, because this is crazy. Shere Khan, most recently um, voiced <laughs> in 2018 and 2016, respectively, by Benedict Cumberbatch and Idris Elba. <laughs> that's so. a weird uh, eclectic mix of, <laughs> of actors there. Yeah. Yeah. Both of whom, though, I could see it. I could see it. Um, Elba can do no wrong, in my opinion. And if Cumberbatch can, can be a dragon, he could certainly be a tiger. So, um, yeah. He was the voice of Smaug in the Hobbit movies, uh, for anybody who mm-hmm. didn't know that. But, okay. <clears throat> so, back to um, back to 34th Street. Uh, <laughs> Before I derail he, us. <laughs> uh, Santa, uh, Chris Kringle, does such a good job that um, Doris's... Uh, colleague, Mr. Shellhammer, who is in charge of the toy department, um, decides that he needs to be the main Macy's Santa. And um, I'm, I may go a little bit fast, so definitely stop me like, like you have done sometimes okay. if, I, if I tend to rush. But um, there's, there's a, kind of a lot of filler, in my opinion, in both of these movies where you know, mm-hmm. the main thing happens, and then there's kind of some, here's how we get from here to here. Um, when Santa, I keep wanting to call him Santa, when Chris uh, starts his gig as the Macy Santa, 
on his first day, uh, he is talking with this boy who wants a, a fire truck. And the mom kind of leans over and is like, hey, Macy's doesn't have one. Nobody has one. Just, you know, do some, uh, do some, uh, what is it? Um, manage, do some, uh, manage, you know, manage expectations, basically. Right. And yeah. um, so Chris just kind of looks down at him and smiles at him and says, well, you'll definitely get it. Let's <laughs> the boy off his lap. Right. And um, mom says, hey, uh, go ahead and wait over there, sweetie. Mama wants to thank Santa, too. <laughs> and she leans in. And this woman is great. She's like, hey, do you speak English? What's, what's right. you know, what's, what's with, with his you? hopes up? Thanks a lot. And uh, he said, well, you don't think I would do that if I wasn't, if I weren't sure. Uh, you can go find it at this store. And um, she says, whoa, I, I, I don't believe it. <laughs> just just really kind of shocked that Macy's would send anybody anywhere else. And right. um, uh, is it Gimbel's that he, he recommends Gimbel's, that you go to? yeah. Okay, yeah, I think Gimbel's. I mean, they're, they're the main rival throughout the movie. I don't know if specifically this time it was, probably, but yeah. I know that Another they come department up, store. yeah, for sure. Um, but then Mr. Mr. Shellhammer uh, decides to go and kind of eavesdrop and see what's going on and overhears Chris basically saying something similar to another customer. And he looks really, really worried. It looks like he's about to go and, and say, never mind, this was a bad idea. But then the woman who um, whose son Chris was talking to about the fire truck comes up to him. And uh, basically it looks like she's kind of you know, just wanting to report that, hey, can you believe this is happening? But then she says, no. Uh, I mean, the fact that any company would, um, you know, would buck the commercialist trend and actually do something for the customer that benefited the customer, even if it didn't necessarily benefit the store, uh, that um, she said, I never did much shopping here before, but now I'm a loyal Macy's customer. And uh, Santa actually... Um, I did skip something. So Chris is talking to uh, a janitor at the store named Alfred before he goes out to, to be Santa on his first day. And mm -hmm. um, Alfred is also uh, a Santa down at, I think he says the Y. Um, the Y, yeah. Yeah. And he he just said he, he really likes dressing up and he loves to see that, that Christmas look that, that kids get on their face when, um, you know, when they, when they get a present. And uh, Santa... Chris talks about how um, that's that's what he he dislikes so much is the commercialist trend that it's getting to be so much about um, making money and about uh, uh, because he's been told uh, that there's this list of toys that he kind of basically needs to push if a customer says anything about not being able to find what they want that he's supposed to push these other toys and he says imagine convincing a child to take something that they don't want just because you know he mr shellhammer ordered too much of the wrong toy that's the that kind of commercialism just just really gets to him and um alfred is the character who in the newer version of the movie that same actor plays a doorman um as kind of a cameo oh really i was so, wondering yeah, That's so funny. I thought that was cool. I think he's the only one who um, is in both films. I mean, they were almost 50 years apart. 50 so years apart, yeah. pretty impressive, yeah, yeah that yeah. anybody could, could do that. Um, well, Alfred is, what well, his character is 17, but he's clearly 17. a young... Yeah. He's young so, in the movie, so young enough to mm, make it around, I guess. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Before, uh, before you go too far, I wanted to point out something that we learned also in, in the parade scene, is that... Susan Walker, the the little girl, is a uh, 
staunch unbeliever. She's very, and and about kind of all things, she's very adult and serious. And you learn that that's kind of how Doris has been raising her intentionally, keeping her very grounded and not allowing her to sort of indulge in really any kind of fantasy. (laughs) Looks like they're having a little trouble with the baseball player. He was a clown last year. They just changed the head and painted him different. My mother told me. Mm. He certainly is a giant, isn't he? Not really. There are no giants, Mr. Gailey. Maybe not now, Susie, but in olden days there were a lot of... Well, what about the giant that Jack killed? Jack? Jack who? Jack. Jack and the Beanstalk. I never heard of that. Oh, you must have heard of that. You've just forgotten. It's a fairy tale. Oh, one of those. I don't know any fairy tales. Oh, your mother and father must have told you a fairy tale. No, my mother thinks they're silly. I don't know whether my father thinks they're silly or not. I never met my father. You see, my father and mother were divorced when I was a baby. Well, that baseball player certainly looks like a giant to me. People sometimes go very big, but that's abnormal. Bet your mother told you that too. Uh, so that that comes up kind of shortly after that in the uh, mall because I think I'm not skipping anything, but Mr. Gailey, the the neighbor slash attorney, right? So who is yeah? So so we first find out um, that uh, Susan has kind of <clears throat> taken a shine to Mr. Gailey because uh, Mr. Gailey's apartment is at the front of of the floor, so by by the window, and so he has allowed. Um, Susan to come over so that she can watch the parade out the window and she's kind of telling him about different like the balloons uh, in the parade and says you know uh, this balloon was actually this one last year my mom told me about it you know she's the the parade director and so he mm-hmm. kind of questions her about some stuff and that's how he finds out that that she's um, uh, quite an epicurean little girl like you were talking about uh, it's like what you see <laughs> is what she gets not really there's n- nothing nothing behind the curtain if there even is a curtain <laughs> and uh, yeah, but then he is taking her to Macy's to her mom because their their housekeeper slash you know the the caretaker for Susan during the day um, is not able to come because she has a family emergency, and so Mr. Gailey takes Susan to Macy's, and that's where that's where you were. What were you gonna gonna say about that? Um, I think I was just gonna go into the scene where Mr. Gailey takes her t- to see this Chris Kringle guy, but I, I can't remember if I'm skipping over something or not now. Uh, no, no, not yet. There is kind of a um, meaningful moment that happens after that, but, uh, but no, go ahead. Um, so Mr. Gailey, I, so Mr. Gailey is, is not a unbeliever. He's the, uh, I don't know what the right word to describe him is, but he's, <laughs> I'm not sure, a dreamer maybe, I, I guess. I would say a bit and, of a dreamer. He's definitely open-minded, and um, yeah, he he's he's hopeful. He's uh, he's he has faith in in people. Right. Yeah. So he, um, I, I guess he's not super happy that uh, that um, Susan is being raised to be. Um, you know, you get the sense that uh, he kind of feels like she's missing out on being a kid. Yeah, right, right. And he's, he, he's also off if you go behind the curtain. It. Just he he's a stand-up guy. There's nothing you know creepy going on here. This was 1947, so there was 
um, that was less uh, of a prominent um, idea of <clears throat> this, you know, the, the, this kind of situation obviously would, would not be, um, <laughs> would not, would not be, there would be some raised eyebrows uh, nowadays, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, fortunately and unfortunately, because obviously things, I'm um, sidebar, things were going on but they were being swept under the rug, I feel like, a lot. Uh, I don't know that it's necessarily more prominent, uh, child predation and things like that these days, or if it's just that there's been more light shed on it. But there is nothing like that going on in either of these movies. Um, There is kind of an allusion to that type of behavior in the second one, which we'll get to, but none of that is going on here. Um, uh, Fred is actually interested in Doris uh, romantically, and that's one of the reasons that he's kind of... um, He's not grooming Susan, but he is sort of taking advantage of the situation so that yeah, he he's can trying to get, get in closer good with her, so he can get in good with yeah. mom. With the mom, yeah. yeah. So, but, but he does uh, kind of have he take, takes issue with the way that Doris is raising Susan to not have any imagination or fantasy, and so yeah, yeah. So, so as he turns to remedy that, <laughs> <laughs> he he decides that he he's going to sneakily take her to see Santa to see this Kris Kringle. And um, so Susan goes and, and meets Santa and does the, the things that you would think, except for she's very like, oh, I know who you are. My mother mm-hmm. hired you. I, I know you're not real. I know there is no, no Santa because uh, my mom told me there's no Santa and things like that. And um, I think at this point, Chris Kringle's kind of like, I, I don't know if disappointed is the right word, but he's sort of... Troubled, I, I would think say. He's, yeah, troubled. Yeah. That that's a good. That's a better way to put uh, it. But but then Go he uh, well, once he talks to Mister Gailey about it, uh, we find out a little later. He's like, you know, challenge accepted. <laughs> no, right. If yeah, I can yeah. convince these two to believe in me, then then I can I could do anything. If not, then I guess exactly. I'll, I'll hang it up. That's kind of the his motivation in the film. <clears throat> um, and one of the first things that uh. Uh, Susan does compliment Mr. Kringle that he's she's he is the best store Santa that she has ever seen. His beard doesn't have right. that little thing that goes up over his ears. He right. says, "Well, that's because it's real. Uh, you know, go ahead, give it a tug." And so she does, and of course it is real. And uh, uh, <laughs> she mentions to um, her mom in the next scene that uh, uh, you know his beard was real and everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. When um, when Doris is talking to Fred about uh, not taking Susan to see Santa behind her back, um, you, you know, uh, yeah, understandably, she's not, she's not pleased. Rightfully, she's not probably. Pleased, you know? Yeah, don't undermine the way that I am raising my daughter. But while they're talking, uh, Susan uh, kind of sneaks out and goes to watch Chris surreptitiously. And um, a little Dutch girl is brought to Chris, who was recently adopted and hasn't learned English yet. And uh, her, her her adopted mom, um, she was able to tell her that she wanted to go see Santa because she saw him on TV and said, he'll be able to understand me. But that's about as much as she could, I guess, could uh, explain in, you know, in that her mom could understand. Um, it's interesting that even her mom doesn't really seem to like know much Dutch, if any, because she doesn't offer to translate or anything. But <laughs> right, right. Be that as it may, uh, Chris starts to speak to the little girl in Dutch, and even sings a, a Dutch Christmas carol with her, and uh, says, um, "You know, as Sinterklaas." And uh, Susan seems really impressed by this, and 
she and Dory have a sub, Doris have a subsequent conversation about about this, and uh, that she she starts to think, well, but but this, and you know, he knew he knew Dutch, and his beard is real, and yada yada. So to nip everything in the bud, Doris uh, asks mm-hmm. Chris to come to her office and tell Susan that he is not Santa, but he insists that no, um, I I am, you know, I I. Yes, I am Santa Claus. <laughs> and, um, right. So, and then they start to doubt his sanity. <laughs> then they start to doubt his sanity. Uh, and Dory, Doris decides to to let him go. Um, uh, very politely, just you know, she she actually says our our Santa from a couple of years ago is back in town, and we feel like we owe it to him uh, to you know to um, let him come back and kind of resume his role. Uh, thank mm-hmm. you so much for filling in, but your services are no longer needed kind of thing. But then she is immediately um, uh, brought to the uh, Mr. Macy's office to talk to, I guess, like the board and some of the department heads. And yeah. Macy um, promises bonuses because of this positive, the positive publicity that they are now getting because uh, their customers have been told how to get what they need at Christmas, even if Macy's doesn't have it. And, of course, you know, it's, it's a it's a capitalistic thing. It's like we're going to be the store. We're going to be the nice store. We're going to be the one that puts the consumer before um, before the, uh, you know, the cash, basically. Right. And in so doing, we'll get even more cash Make because more then we'll earn yeah. more customers. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, uh, as they're leaving, Mr. Shellhammer's like, so, you know, good job on your Santa. You know, I just I told I told them that it was our idea. But, you know, really, it's, it's all thanks to him. And Doris is like, well, I just fired him. <laughs> Shellhammer's like, what? Right. And Doris says, well, you know, he's he believes he's Santa Claus. I don't think that's. Um, and so Shellhammer uh, to sort of make her feel better says, well, why don't we have um, our, uh, I guess he's like, a, um, there's a, there's a specific word for it, like corporates, um, therapist, something like that. There's a specific title. He's, he's not a therapist, but I, yeah, he, he administers, I can't remember the word they use, but it's like, Mental examinations or something. Yeah, like a, yeah, it's some kind of mental examination. Um, and I, I can't remember the specific term they use either, but basically, um, to make sure that you know the uh, the employees are are able to to perform, um, and so to kind of alleviate her misgivings, um, this guy uh, whose name is Granville Sawyer, uh, Sawyer is asked to administer this evaluation. You'll be here in the morning, then. Certainly, I will. You see, Mrs. Walker, this is quite an opportunity for me. For the past 50 years or so, I've been getting more and more worried about Christmas. Seems we're all so busy trying to beat the other fellow in making things go faster and look shinier and cost less that Christmas and I are sort of getting lost in the shuffle. Oh, I don't think so. Christmas is still Christmas. Oh, Christmas isn't just a day. It's a frame of mind. And that's what's been changing. That's why I'm glad I'm here. Maybe I can do something about it. And I'm glad I met you and your daughter. You two are a test case for me. We are? Yes, you're sort of the whole thing in miniature. If I can win you over, there's still hope. If not, then I guess I'm through. But I'm warning you, I don't give up easily. Good night. Good night. Oh, oh, Mr. Kringle, uh, the first thing in the morning, would you report to Mr. Sawyer's office? Sawyer? Uh, Yes, he'll just give you a little examination. Oh, we do it with all our employees. A mental examination? 
Well, uh, Oh, I don't mind. I've taken dozens of them. Never failed one yet. Know them by heart. <clears throat> How many days in the week? Seven. How many fingers do you see? Four. Muscular coordination test. No damage to the nervous system. Who was the first president of the United States? George Washington. Who was the vice president under John Quincy Adams? Daniel D. Tompkins. And I'll bet your Mr. Sawyer doesn't know that. Good night. How many days in the week? Seven. Who was the first president of the United States? George Washington. How much? Three times five? Oh, you asked me that before. You'll find the answer right there at the bottom of the... I'm conducting this examination. How much is three times five? Well, the same as it was before. Fifteen. You're rather nervous, aren't you, Mr. Sawyer? Do you get enough sleep? My personal habits are no concern to you. Oh, I'm sorry. It's just that I hate to see someone tied up in... How many fingers do you see? Three. Oh, you bite your nails, too. Now, I want you to stand with your feet together and your arms extended. Then I want you to... Muscular coordination test? Surely. Be glad to. <laughs> you know, sometimes the cause of nervous habits like yours is not obvious. No. Often they're the result of an insecurity. Are you happy at home, Mr. Sawyer? That will be all, Mr. Kringle. The examination's over. You may go. Thank you. You may go out that way. Uh, I, I loved this scene in this movie uh, where he's evaluating um, Chris. Uh, when they tell him, Chris, that uh, he's going to have to do this, uh, this assessment, Chris is like, oh, I've, I've taken these hundreds of times. I know them by heart. I passed them all. Um, and he starts to, he, he rattles off some of the difference, um, the questions that are asked and mm-hmm. then does the, like the physical examination to make sure there's no neurological damage. Uh, he mm-hmm. name drops uh, John Quincy Adams, pre- um, vice president who, I've forgotten. I'm a president nerd, and I've forgotten this. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it's really cool. And then scene jump to him talking to Sawyer, and Sawyer asking the exact same questions that uh, Chris just right. rattled off. Um, and and Chris Sawyer is actually, not pleased by this. He does not like this exchange right. because yeah. Chris. Um, not only is he passing with flying colors, but Chris like calls which which undercuts Sawyer's power which seems to be kind of his whole his whole thing um but he Chris also calls out Sawyer has some nervous habits and nervous tics and right. he asks seemingly out of genuine concern and not any kind of mockery um if if he's okay if everything's all right with him and Sawyer definitely doesn't like this this turning of the tables right. and so uh, he recommends that Chris be dismissed um but uh um, I don't remember his name, but um, Chris's... I want to say Phillips, but really I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember. Uh, we could call him Mr. Phillips. So um, okay. the, the home that Chris lives in for most of the year, I guess, uh, is um, the, the, the doctor at this home is a, is a Dr. Phillips. And um, he is familiar with Chris's situation, with, his, uh, with everything. And he... Um, says you know chris chris's delusion is a um 
benevolent one. He is not a danger to anybody. He only wants to help people, and his belief in who he is enables him to do that even more. And Sawyer's like, no, um, in my experience, anybody that has this kind of delusion, if the delusion is questioned, then they're liable to to become violent, and uh, that's why, ostensibly why he recommends that Chris be dismissed. Um, mm-hmm. In the end, because of what uh, what Chris's goodwill has already done for the company, um, Shellhammer and uh, Doris decide to keep him on. And um, this decision is something that Macy would and does back up um, later in the film. So, uh, so, yeah, he's in there. Sawyer's not happy about it, but he is in. Right. And uh, I don't think I am skipping anything, but I think it's around this time um, that... Oh, they're having to look for a new place for Chris to stay that's closer to Macy's because um, the the more that he has to travel between the home and the store, the more likely it is that something could happen uh, right, right, potentially. Right. And so they want him as close as possible. And at first, um, the plan is for him to stay with the shell hammers, but then uh, he... Shellhammer makes a deal with Doris, says, you take him home tonight for dinner, and I'll go home and try to convince my wife to, you know, to, to let him move in with us for the duration. By plying her with and, alcohol. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, three times strong martinis, I think it is. <laughs> so, yeah. The really, really humorous scene. Uh, but Mr. Gailey is also over for dinner at the Walker's house, and um, he gets to talking to Chris, and they take an immediate liking to each other. And um, Gailey says, well, you know what? I'm in this apartment all by myself. I have an extra bed. I have extra room. Why don't you just move in with me? And then you can ride to work with uh, with Doris and um, just kind of makes the deal without anybody else being involved. And so right. when the Shellhammer, when Shellhammer calls and uh, is telling Doris that uh, – his wife is convinced that Santa can move in with them. Um, uh, Gailey, uh, or uh, Chris informs them, well, I've already accepted Mr. Gailey's generous offer to, to move in with him. And Doris gets this look on her face like, oh, you have, have you? And kind of <laughs> right. looks over at Gailey. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, uh-huh. oh man, this guy, this guy's got his hands in everything. But <clears throat> Schemer, he's scheming. He's scheming. Uh, but yeah, that night when Chris and Fred are going to bed, um, he, Chris tells Fred that uh, if if that um, this is when he says if he can convince Doris and Susan to believe in him, then you know then he he knows he still got it. Basically, he knows there's still hope. Nice place you got here. Oh, well, they're lucky to get it. <laughs> you uh, like living in Manhattan? Well, it's all right. Of course, someday I'd like to get a place on Long Island. Not a big house, just one of those junior partner deals around Manhasset. I know just the kind of place you mean. One of those little uh, colonial houses. Mm-hmm. Either that or Cape Cod. Yeah. You know, I think you're right about Mrs. Walker. A little more effort on your part, and she might crawl out of that shell. Take her out to dinner in the theater. Mm, I've tried that. She's always too busy with her job. Whoa, try a little harder. Those two are a couple of lost souls that's up to us to help you. I'll take care of Susie if you'll take care of her mother. It's a deal. Ready? Ah, no, you don't. I'm not going to be cheated this way. All my life I've wondered something, and now's my chance to find out. I'm going to find the answer to a question that's puzzled the world for centuries. Does Santa Claus sleep with his whiskers outside or in? Always sleep with them out. Cold air makes them grow. 
It's also around this time that he convinces Gailey, he says, you work on Doris and I'll work on Susan and we'll see if we can't open open their lives up a little bit more. And mm-hmm. so uh, Gailey says that he's tried to ask Susan out for dinner and things or Doris out for dinner and, and things like that, but that she's always too busy with work and with Susan. And so I, I guess it looks like they um, the they don't talk about it much in this version, but it looks like they have Kringle watch Susan and then they start to go out to dinner and without much exposition <laughs> um, kind of showing what happens. Uh, you find out later in the, in the movie that they have developed a relationship, Fred and Doris. But in the meantime, uh, Chris talks to Susan about some, about different things. And um, she uh, says, well, if you really are Santa, then you can, you can get me what I want for Christmas. Right. And Chris says, well, well, yes, yes, I can. And so Susan shows him a magazine photo of, her dream house and says, this is what I mm-hmm. want. And he says, well, well, you know, children ask for things all the time that they can't really use, you know, like a, a B-52 or a, or a, a full-size fire truck. And then Susan's like, well, but this isn't like those things. This is, this is something that we can actually need. And I could have more time with my mom and I could have a swing in the backyard and things like that. And so mm-hmm. he's, he is moved by, by her, 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 her nostalgia for this idea. And, uh, reluctantly says that he will do his best. And right. um, there is, uh, this is when kind of the turning point happens. Um, before we get into kind of some of the legal stuff and what leads into that, um, anything more from the setup of the film that you can think of? No, I think that uh, that's pretty much covers it. I, I guess at some point, uh, is it kind of what's the rival company? Gil Gimbals, yeah. Um, Gimbal, right. They try and it, poach this poach Chris Kringle to be their Santa, right? Uh not in this version, actually. Um Does the, it aren't there the two of them that they're like he's trying to offer him money and they're they're like both standing there next to him? And it's not not quite as uh I don't know, like nefarious as in the remake, but I thought there was a scene uh, where you know what? Maybe there is. I will say, since I've only seen this one once, I definitely could be forgetting that. I did not recall Gimbal's trying to pro- poach Chris. They do try to capitalize on the idea, and they expand it to other stores as well. Mm-hmm. And so Macy's then responds by also expanding it to some other stores. And uh, Chris's idea of this, you know, goodwill um, and uh, putting the consumer first, uh, you know, um, spreads. But just right. it's funny. It kind of co-ops the uh, capitalist <clears throat> scheme to get more customers and spreads to all these other cities. Right. Um, yeah, but it's an uh, arms he does race. Not, yeah, he does not go to Gimbal's. Um, but actually, um, he at one point it looks like there's not really like a a reconciliation is the wrong word, but um, Macy and Gimbal are seen like shaking hands and photograph shaking hands about you know. Um, kind of almost being in a partnership in this this move mm-hmm. to uh, put the consumer first. But that may happen that Gimbal's tried to poach Santa. I know absolutely that it happens in, in the in the remake because as you said, it's much more right. overt. But um, right. what what does happen next is that uh, Chris is having lunch with Alfred, uh, the the young man from before, and um, he uh is really upset. Alfred is really upset, and Chris um, kind of kind of prods him and says, "What's what's going on?" And it comes out that Sawyer has apparently been um, like uh, 
Alfred has been going to see Sawyer, um, and Sawyer has been assessing him um, as if he were a psychologist or a psychiatrist, which he is not, and telling him that he uh, basically um, sets up that he has these like complexes, and that's why he's mm-hmm. acting out and trying to be kind because he's like trying to um, overcompensate, trying to compensate for uh, these deep-seated issues that he has, like how he hates his father and things like that. And <laughs> That's um, another funny line. It was like he told me yeah. I hated my told father. Me I, my father. I never knew it. Uh, I never knew it, but he said I do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's it's funny, but it also you know Chris Chris is uh, understandably you know upset by this. This is this is his friend. He really likes Alfred. He's a good kid, and Sawyer has been overstepping himself and uh, has got Alfred all twisted in knots. Hello, Alfred. Hello, Chris. How about a little game of checkers after lunch, eh? Leave us not today, Chris. I, I don't feel like it. Oh, what's the matter? Nothing. Nothing. Well, something is wrong. What is it? Well, remember I was telling you how I like to play Santa Claus over at the Y on Christmas and, and give out packages to the young kids? Yeah. Well, I was telling that to Mr. Sawyer, see, and... Well, he says that's very bad. Sawyer, you mean, uh... uh that's the one. He's a, a psychologist, you know. Well, that's a debatable point. Why is it bad, does he say? Oh, sure. He says that guys who dress up like Santa Claus, see, and give presents away, do it because when they was young, they must have did something bad, and they feel guilty about it. So now they do something they think is good to make up for it, see? It's what he calls a guilt complex. How old are you, Alfred? Seventeen. Seventeen. It doesn't seem to me that you've had time to be guilty of anything much except overeating. It's nothing to laugh about, Chris. It's it's pretty serious, he says. It's a lot of rubbish, Alfred. Don't listen to it. Oh, he knows what he's talking about. He's been studying that stuff for a long time. Oh, well, what's the basis of this guilt complex you're supposed to have? Does he say that? Well, he ain't found out yet. It's probably way down inside of me someplace, see? Maybe something that happened to me when I was a baby, he says. It takes time, but he'll do it, he says. You mean you're going to him again? Oh, sure. I go every day for a little while after I finish my lunch. Oh, he don't soak me nothing. He's doing it for free because I'm an interesting case. Yes. What else has he found wrong with you, Alfred? Anything else? No, oh, just that I hate my father. I didn't know it, but he says I do. And he sees you every day? Yeah, I just sit in a chair and say anything that comes into my head. Excuse me, Alfred. A few things have just come into my head, and I'm going to say them. So Chris goes to confront him about it, and... um, you know, basically it says he's going to go and tell uh, Macy what Sawyer has been doing. And uh, Sawyer is just really belligerent and, and really ugly to him. And uh, before he leaves, uh, Kringle gives Sawyer a bop on the head with his cane and then walks out. And as he walks out, he uh, Sawyer is like kind of sitting back in his chair and he, he looks a little bit dazed, but he he's, uh, he's still conscious, definitely still aware of uh-huh. what's going on. And he sees Doris and a shellhammer uh, coming down the hall. And so he pretends to have been knocked out. Yeah. He and, does the World Cup flop. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> G- gamesmanship. 
And uh, he takes advantage of the situation, and eventually, through a series of events, um, he uh, uh, Chris is accosted and is taken to uh, Bellevue Hospital and is um, basically incarcerated there for a couple of days while uh, he is assessed. And uh, Chris, who has been discouraged by all of this because he's taken in, um, taken to the hospital before he can talk to Macy about what Sawyer's been doing. Um, he's so discouraged and so depressed that he, um, intentionally fails the examination for the first time ever and is recommended by the doctor at Bellevue for permanent commitment. Um, Doris convinces Fred, who, um, we kind of find out at this point is an attorney, (laughs) um, to represent, Chris. And so Fred goes to see Chris at Bellevue and says, not don't give up. I'm going to, you know, I'm with you on this. I believe in you. And, mm-hmm. and um, he says, you can't give up because think of the children that it always comes back to the kids for, for Chris and making sure they don't get discouraged. And so uh, Chris is encouraged and is on board. And now we get into sort of legal parts of the film. So if you want, you can take over or uh, I can keep going and you'll just butt in more often <laughs> yeah i mean uh, you can keep keep going for a little bit and i'll i'll keep butting in and maybe take the reins in a little bit but okay. go ahead all right so we're introduced to a couple of new characters at this point um mm-hmm. we are we go to the office of um the honorable judge henry x harper where he is in a meeting with district attorney thomas mara and uh, Mara gives him the uh, recommendation, the, the commitment papers, and um, uh, urges Judge Harper to go ahead and sign them. That it's uh, just a yeah. It's so I know. will interrupt you. Even <laughs> it didn't take long at all. So th- this is something that is um, done in both movies, where the state attorney comes in and has these commitment papers for Chris Kringle, and the judge just looks at him. And he's like, oh, we're just going to put this guy in the institution. And the state attorney is like, yep, you can." he's kind of like speeding him along. Like, don't even bother reading it. Just take my word for yeah, it. Yeah, he's this like guy needs dismissive. And also, don't bother reading it. It's, uh, you know, it's it's just, it's standard procedure. Uh, the guy right. thinks he's Santa Claus, basically. <laughs> right. Yeah. And the judge is like, uh-oh, that's no good. And so he's going to sign it and and commit this guy without without any kind of due process and i I will say well so i will say i'll take it and introduce what mr gailey does and then i'll get on a small rant but so mr gailey um kind of gets there just in the nick of time and comes in to the office as well and says uh, well judge it's in your right to commit uh to commit chris kringle but uh, i'm just going to file a habeas corpus motion and and then we'll be back in court. So you really should just let me have a hearing on this instead. And the judge kind of relents. But um, this is all just kind of bananas to me. I, this is, granted, I don't know what the state of the law is in 1947. But this also happens in the remake. And um, hmm. if you think about it just from like a very basic understanding of the law, what they are doing is taking a person off of the street and putting them into imprisonment without an attorney, without a hearing, without the uh, the Chris Kringle being allowed to be present. So that is just like a complete violation 
of rights <laughs> for Chris Kringle. You you can't do that. Um, I mean, so granted, I only know like the specific requirements in Florida, but I'm pretty comfortable telling you that you can't take someone off the street without allowing them to have a hearing without... So <clears throat> I guess I can say what habeas corpus is because it comes up in both movies. Uh, that's something that maybe people have heard before. And I looked up what the Latin means because I wasn't, I couldn't remember the actual translation, but it's something sort of like show me the body or that you have the body. And basically mm. it's a, you kind of file a petition if you are, it protects you against unlawful imprisonment, essentially. So you can sort of challenge like the reasons or the conditions of your detention. So had Chris Kringle just been, plunked into this institution without things like a hearing, you know, representation, he could have somebody file this habeas corpus motion mm-hmm. petition that would say, you locked him up without any due process. That's not right. And then they would, you know, hopefully give him the uh, <laughs> the, the rights that he's owed as a human being in America. Yeah. Um so anyway, I just wanted, this seemed like a good enough place to interject all that yes. stuff, but it is so off to a bad start as far as legal accuracy from the movie. Yes. Um, um, it's also around this time that um, Macy gets wind of what has happened and uh, mm-hmm. he goes to Sawyer and Sawyer's like, well, well, he failed the examination, Mr. Macy, and he's not safe. And Macy's like, I don't care if he failed a dozen examinations, you get them to drop the charges and you get him back here now. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so Sawyer is now in panic mode and he is just outside the judge's chambers when, uh, you know, when um, Gailey gets there. And as he's walking out, uh, Sawyer gets up and talks to uh, District Attorney Mara and says, I, I heard that man mention Mr. Kringle. Uh, who is he? And Mara says, well, he's apparently Mr. Kringle's attorney and um, he has m- uh, moved for a hearing. And so Sawyer's like, oh, no. Um, and he goes to find Gailey and says, Mr. Gailey, listen, if well, we he, could just he push asks if he can drop the case. And, and the yeah, attorney's yeah, like, well, the, we can't uh, now. Too yeah, late. He asked the DA if they can drop the case. And yeah, he says, well, now it's too late. We have to go through the, you know, uh, we have to have due process, basically. Mm-hmm. And so then uh, Sawyer goes and tries to convince Gailey to move it through quietly so that they can avoid publicity. And Gailey says, publicity? Hmm. It's not a bad idea. If I'm if I'm going to win this case, I'm going to need a lot of public opinion, and the best way to get it right. would probably be publicity. Thank you, Mr. Sawyer. <laughs> and he walks off toward the um the uh, the press office, which the press area, yeah, press. And so this he goes to the press area of I guess it, a courthouse or state building. I'm not sure I'm where the judge yeah. was. It, do you know if if that is common for there to be like a press area in? The same building as a judge's uh, office would be. Uh, I'm maybe that. I mean, I would assume there's something possibly like that at like the Supreme Court. I don't know if there's mm. like something like that at the state Supreme Courts, but um, mm. yeah, I thought that was okay. interesting. And yeah, this is the state Supreme Court of New York. This is not like a like a local or or um, a, a civic thing or anything like that. Uh, well, this I will is a, say that not to get too hung up on that because there are go ahead. places where. Supreme Court does not actually mean the highest court. And New York, for all I know, uh, may be one of those places where Supreme Court is just the trial court, entry court. And it, I, I don't know why that is the way they do it. But there, I know that I remember that that is the case some places. 
Um, yeah. So That's I don't know. I should have looked it up because I wasn't, I wasn't thinking about that, but, and also just because I just happened to notice that I wrote it down. The reason he said that he could not drop the case was that it was too late once he's been examined. I have no idea what, I mean, <laughs> it, I don't, I didn't, I don't know what like the process is in 1947, New York about getting someone committed, but you know, Mr. Sawyer filed some paperwork and then I guess the state took the case and whatever. Mm. I guess it's possible that you couldn't just dismiss it once it, some it does step seem to had be been taken. Convenient. So. Yeah, but yeah. But yeah, that's um that is interesting, yeah. Uh but um so <laughs> um Harper um it, there are a couple of scenes uh, in the homes of both Harper and Mara where you find out that uh, Harper's grandkids and his wife are not happy with him because he's well, putting hold on Santa a second, Claus on real trial. Quick. Oh, go ahead. Before that, there's a scene where he, I think it's before that, where Judge Harper's meeting with a politician yes. friend of his. He's talking. And the yeah, politician ta- warns right. him first. Yeah, right before this happens, he's talking to his political advisor. And this is right. the moment I was talking about of, oh, he's in this movie. Um, his political advisor right. is named Charlie Halloran, and he is played by William Frawley, who is probably most famous for uh, the role of Fred Mertz in I Love mm-hmm. Lucy. I Love Lucy, yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, he is um, the judge's uh, political advisor and warns him – you know, don't take the Santa Claus case. Don't take the this case. Is, if you want to is... get reelected, don't take the mm-hmm. case. I don't see what they're making such a fuss about. After all, he's an old man. And... I'm feeling lately, Henry. You look a little run down. Me? Why? Why, I feel fine. Never better. Why don't you go and see the doc? Take a few weeks off. Go fishing. Go hunting. Go any place. Why should I? Because this Kringle case is dynamite. Let some judge handle it that isn't coming up for re-election. I can't do that. Henry, listen, I'm no legal brain trust. I don't know a habeas from a corpus, but I do know politics. That's my racket. I got you elected, didn't I? And I'm going to try to get you reelected. I know, Charlie. Now, don't misunderstand me. I appreciate everything that you've done for me. And I'm telling you to get off this case. But why? Because you're a regular Pontius Pilate the minute you start. That's why. Oh, I don't believe it. I'm an honest man. And nobody's going to hold it against me for doing my duty as I see it. Grandma! 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 <laughs> Good night, Terry. Good night, Alice. Now, straight to bed. I promised your mother you'd be in bed by 8 o'clock, and it's way past. Aren't you coming, too? Mm-hmm. I'll be up in a minute to tuck you in. Now, scoot. Now, how about a great big kiss for Grandpa, hmm? Hmm. Fine way to treat their grandfather. No hug, no kiss, no anything. I don't blame them. Any man who puts Santa Claus on trial for lunacy. See what I mean? I don't care what you do with old Whiskerpuss, but if you go back in there and rule that there's no Santa Claus, you better start looking for that chicken farm right now. Why, we won't even be able to put you in the primaries. But, Charlie, listen to reason. I'm a responsible judge. I've taken an oath. How can I seriously rule that there is a Santa Claus? Why don't you look... All right. You go back and tell him that the New York State Supreme Court rules there's no Santa Claus. It's all over the papers. The kids read it and they don't hang up their stockings. Now, what happens to all the toys that are supposed to be in those stockings? Nobody buys them. The toy manufacturers are going to like that. 
So they have to lay off a lot of their employees, union employees. Now you got the CIO and the AFL against you, and they're going to adore you for it, and they're going to say it with votes. Oh, and the department stores are going to love you too, and the Christmas card makers, and the candy companies. Oh, Henry, you're going to be an awful popular fella. And what about the Salvation Army? Why, they got a Santa Claus on every corner, and they take in a fortune. But you go ahead, Henry. You do it your way. You go on back in there and tell them that you rule there's no Santa Claus. Go on. But if you do, remember this. You can count on getting just two votes, your own, and that district attorney's out there. The district attorney's a Republican. This is a disaster waiting to happen. There is no good outcome for this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I will also point out that his the judge's response at first is, I'm an honest man. I'm going to do what the law says, and no one can possibly hold that against me, which I thought was a very... I mean, I'll get into my thoughts on it, I guess, more later. But um, that was a very interesting response from from him. Yeah, and it's, then I mean, it gets into it's his it's noble and admirable, but also kind of naive that you know doing the right thing would would lead to a good outcome um, all the time. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. unfortunately not the way it works. But but then yeah, his um, his grandkids run through the room to tell grandma good nights. And then he stands up and is like, um, who has a big hug for grandpa? They just kind of give him the stink eye and walk by. (laughs) And he looks at his wife and he's like, what's wrong with these kids? And she's like, well, I don't blame them. Imagine putting Santa Claus on trial. (laughs) Right. Exactly. (laughs) And so, and then the advisor just kind of looks at him like, I told you so. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You see Harper start to get a little bit of, a little bit of doubt. And then um, it's not. Immediately at this point, but in a similar scene a little bit later, uh, Mara, um, the district attorney, is talking to his wife, and he's talking to him while her while their son's in the room, um, who we find out later is named uh, uh, Thomas Mara Jr. And uh, Junior's in the room playing with toys or whatever, and she says, um, uh, uh, "Tommy, go ahead and go, uh, you know, do something the way you get a kid out of the room." And she says, turns around to Thomas and says, you know, I would appreciate if you don't talk about this while he's in the room. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and she says, and, you know, I, I just, I don't see why you're doing this. Why Persecuting Santa Claus. <laughs> She's a, right. was like, I'm not persecuting him. I'm prosecuting him. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he also, you know, he says, you know, I'm, I'm doing my, this is my responsibility as a representative of the state. And, you know, so I have to do what I have to do. And she's like, yeah, but what if you, you know, what if you can't get a job after this? Uh, no, he, she says, sometimes I wish I just married a um, a plumber, plumber or a butcher. And mm-hmm. she's like, well, he, he says, well, um, if I lose this case, you might get your wish. So right. he, he kind of knows what's what's at stake as well. But uh, yeah, then the trial starts and i guess or the, not not a trial the judge is very clear to tell mr right. pringle this is a hearing not this a trial a and you can get into kind of what they say there but um at first uh, mara is talking to sawyer who is sitting with the prosecution for some reason um i guess maybe because he was the one <laughs> right, who yeah. was he's the petitioner um, i guess ostensibly attacked and yeah was the petitioner but 
Sawyer is concerned about the publicity that the that the hearing is already getting, and Mara says, "Well, it's likely to go on for a week or two. And Sawyer's like, "What? No, no, that can't happen." And Mara right. says, "Well, uh, obviously, if, if his lawyer is worth his salt, he's going to deny everything. So it's you know, yeah, it's probably going to take a while." And then yeah. Yeah. he. He calls uh, Chris as his first witness and asks him if he believes that he is Santa Claus or ask him his name and ask if he believes he's Santa Claus. And Chris says, well, yes, of course I do. And Mara <laughs> looks really me. shocked and says, well, the state rests, Your Honor. <laughs> and I will I will point out that while he was asking those questions, yeah, you, you can kind of take over from here because this is where the legal stuff comes in. I just want to raise one of my typical pet peeves of him walking directly up to the judge's uh, to the judge and then directly next to the witness uh, stand there and talking to the witness uh, while he like right on top of him, which uh, regular listeners will probably know by now that you should mm-hmm. not do that as an attorney. Um, so even in a hearing, <laughs> right? Even, even in a hearing, um, this, I can't remember. Do they, they just take a, a quick, the quick first, session that we see in the movie is him asking those questions and then he's just kind of like you said he's surprised and then he just sort of rests his case and now i can't remember does mr gailey ask him anything in response to that i can't remember if so he... one thing that the judge does say he tells chris that you know this is a hearing uh, you do not have to res- uh, oh, answer right, any right, question right. that you don't want to and you actually don't even have to testify at all um yeah so because he's trying to throughout the the whole thing you can see the judge is trying to find a way out of it because he doesn't want to make any kind of ruling that could Mm -hmm. be construed by the public as as an attack on santa Mm -hmm. yeah so um do you want to talk at all about the kind of difference between like the trials that we've had so far we've had some civic and some criminal trials but this is this is the first um as far as i know the first uh, like insanity hearing or anything like this mm-hmm. that we've had. Um, yeah. How, how is a, a quote unquote, how is a hearing different from a quote unquote trial? So the, I, I know I don't, I don't know exactly how a commitment hearing works, but in general, a hearing is like a sort of like a, a, a condensed trial, I guess. Well, Maybe that's a little bit of an oversimplification, but in essence, you do you still have the same sort of thing, which is both sides are trying to present their case and call witnesses and present evidence, but it's usually like maybe like, I don't know, maybe it's described as like more narrow than a trial. You don't have this same steps as in a trial with like a defense case and then like, you know, or I mean like a prosecution case and a defense case and all, all that. For this, it would be... <clears throat> Really pretty similar to a trial, I, I think. You're sort of saying this person is whatever whatever they need to make to, to commit him. I, I think in Florida, I think it's like you have a mental illness or you have some kind of addiction problem and it puts you in danger to yourself or others. Something like that is like the, mm-hmm. the basic idea that you might expect from like a commitment. And so, um, yeah, they'd just be sort of needing to prove those steps instead but really it is pretty similar to a trial i would think for a commitment hearing okay okay cool cool 
Um, I'll do a little side note here. Uh, say really yeah, quickly, the Judge Harper is uh, played by a uh, character actor named Gene Lockhart, um, who I don't recognize a lot of the things he had been in. Um, he on the stage, he was actually uh, Willie Loman, the lead character uh, in Death of a Salesman in the late '40s and the '50s. But um, interestingly, nine years prior to this role, um, he played Bob Cratchit in A Christmas. Carol. So this is not his only Christmas movie. Um, and then the district attorney, uh, Thomas Mara, is played by an actor named Jerome Cohen, who, again, uh, oh, he, let me see. So he was in the Maltese Falcon. Looks like his other, that was his other biggest role. Um, but, huh, in the in the series um, based on the Blondie comic strip, uh, he plays Dagwood's boss, Mr. Radcliffe. So <laughs> some, something else there. So, okay, cool, cool. Um, so Jerome Cohen as uh, District Attorney Thomas Mara. And uh, yes, I, I believe from what I remember, it's been a couple of days now since I watched the film, but in the, in the first hearing, it's really just uh, uh, Gailey does not cross-examine Chris at mm-hmm. this point right um, he uh, <laughs> the judge says well given what your uh, given what your client said do you still wish to put in a defense and Gailey says yes your honor I do um, and he he and um, Mara approach the bench and Gailey says uh, if if I can show uh, that he is not um, if I can show that he's not insane basically then you know you should throw out the commitment papers. And they say, well, yes, but he believes he's Santa Claus. And Gailey's like, well, you believe that you're Judge Harper. Uh, my, you mm-hmm. know, my, my opponent believes that he's District Attorney Thomas Mara. Nobody questions that because you are who you say you are. And they say again, yes, but he believes he's Santa Claus. <laughs> and Gailey's mm-hmm. like, well, if I can show that he is who he says he is, then I intend to show that my client, Chris Kringle, is Santa Claus. And um, not for the first, not for the last time, uh, Mara says, well, he's crazy too. <laughs> right, right. Um, and the judge says, okay, well, um, I will, I will hear further evidence. I'm not going to, I'm not going to make it a, ru- a ruling at this time. And that's right. Cause they, he doesn't want to, he's trying to squirm out of it too. Again, he's so trying he to, yeah, like you recess, said, trying yeah. to squirm out of, out of it. So, Mm-hmm. And yeah. then and, in between sessions, we find out that uh, Mr. Gailey's law firm threatened to fire him unless he drops the case because they are also wanting to avoid uh, the bad publicity. And then he, I think he's talking to Doris when he he is when this yeah, comes. And this is up. when we find out that they are in a relationship. Doris calls him darling a couple of times when he walks in. He gives her a kiss and all that. So, um, he. And they also they have um, kind of a discussion between themselves about about having faith in people and what faith means. And that uh, Doris thinks that Fred is like throwing away his future for this you know this nice old man. And Fred says, "No, this is about more than that. I I believe in Chris. I have faith in him." And mm-hmm. uh, not necessarily we find out he doesn't necessarily <clears throat> literally believe that Chris is Santa, but. Um, 
That's very heavily implied uh, toward the end of the film. But he believes in Chris as a person and in the good that Chris wants to do, and he wants to help him do that. And Doris is like, that just doesn't make sense. You know, it's it's common sense. And Fred tells him, I guess, in kind of the key line of the film, faith means believing something even if your common sense doesn't necessarily tell you that you should. And kind of like you're, uh, you have some thoughts on uh, Harper saying that he's an honest man and so he's going to do the right thing and, you know, that, that should be enough. I have my thoughts on this, on uh, faith meaning believing something even if your common sense tells you not to, um, but I'll reserve those for the time being. That, that, that is sort of uh, uh, Fred's whole thing here. So he and Doris mm-hmm. have a little bit of an altercation, but um, it all works out in the end. Everybody knows that. So, uh, we come back to the second day, um, and we find that Fred has called Mr. Macy as a witness, and through a series of questioning and uh, some cool sort of um, cinematography work that shows uh, Macy visualizing the headlines that might happen <laughs> right. if he, yeah. you know, if he says otherwise, uh, right. says yes, he does believe that Chris is Santa Claus, mm-hmm. and. As he leaves the stand, um, he he, uh, he basically says, um, "Psychologist, you know, uh, where did you go to school? What is your actual certification?" And he fires Sawyer, um, mm-hmm. and uh, then uh, after this, uh, Fred calls Thomas Mara to the stand, and the DA says, "Wait, me?" And Fred says, "Thomas Mara Jr." <laughs> dun dun dun. <laughs> let me let me I I I want to ask you if you remember Yeah, before I get in there, go ahead. Chance. Because there I have a note I have a note here that the state attorney interrupts one of the witnesses to say, uh, you're under oath. Do you really believe blah blah blah? And I don't oh, remember yes. who uh, he was it's talking Mr. Mason. To. Do you remember? Okay, so I just uh that's you can't that is not a, a good thing because I mean like clearly he's saying He's implying that Macy is lying or wrong or whatever by reminding him that he's under oath. He's clearly saying, like, obviously you're wrong or lying and drawing attention to that. So um, negative points there. I know you you cannot communicate with the witness when <clears throat> they are not your witness. Even I know that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just, uh, yeah, yeah, because wasn't um, it was in the middle of Mister Gailey asking him questions? Is that one? I can't remember the exact mm-hmm. yeah. layout, but yeah, it was like yeah, he like chimed in over somebody else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This isn't um, this isn't uh, this isn't Phoenix right here. You know, where you can just <laughs> right. do whatever you want when someone else's turn. <laughs> So, yep. okay. Christmas is serious and, business. You can't, you know, we're talking yeah. about Santa Claus here. <laughs> so, so ba- back to um, little Tommy. Back to little Tommy. And, and I love this. Uh, it's, it's, it's done so well. I, I think in both movies when they have a kid on the stand, um, mm-hmm. uh, they put a book um, in, the, um, in, in the witness stand. And I thought this was interesting. You may have words about this. Uh, Gailey actually picks little Tommy up and sets him on the book <laughs> right, yep. in the witness stand. Yeah. Yeah, um, I don't think that's probably how it would go. Probably not. Uh, and then instead of having him like swear in or anything, they just say, "Tommy, you know the difference between telling the truth and lying, right?" <laughs> and he's like, Actually, oh, yeah. so that is go ahead um, for when you're. And I don't. I like again. I think I say this every show. I'm not a trial attorney, but when you have um, kids 
testifying, there are some like, I can't remember the exact process if it's for, you know, certain types of hearings, but you do go through kind of like steps like that where you need to determine whether or not the kid is mature enough. And one of the things is trying, I can't remember the phrasing, but it's like, can you tell the truth from a lie? And then you kind of, oh, okay. So that, I think that's actually cool. a fairly, uh, I don't, I don't know enough of the details about it to say hundred percent it's right, but it is close to the mark. Okay, Although I cool. don't think it would be like Very a single cool. question instead of swearing mm-hmm. him in, whatever, whatever. Yeah. But I guess they just sort of short hand waved that through the basic idea. And so, so continue uh, with little Tommy. <laughs> and so basically, um, he asks Tommy um, if he believes in Santa, and Tommy says yes, of course. And he asks Tommy what does Santa look like, and Tommy leans forward and points at Chris and says, "That's him right there." <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. Your Honor, the burden of proof for this ridiculous contention clearly rests with my opponent. Can he produce any evidence to support his views? If Your Honor, please, I can. Will Thomas Mara please take the stand? Who, me? Thomas Mara, Jr. Hello, Daddy. Tommy, you know the difference between telling the truth and telling a lie, don't you? Gosh, everybody knows you shouldn't tell a lie, especially in court. See, Mr. Gailey. Do you believe in Santa Claus, Tommy? Sure I do. He gave me a brand new flexible flyer sled last year, and this year... And, uh, what does he look like? There he is, sitting there. Your Honor, I protest. Oh, Verold. Tell me, Tommy, why are you so sure there's a Santa Claus? Because my daddy told me so. Didn't you, Daddy? You believe your daddy, don't you, Tommy? He's a very honest man. Of course he is. My daddy wouldn't tell me anything that wasn't so. Would you, daddy? Thank you, Tommy. Goodbye, daddy. Your Honor. Don't forget a real official football helmet. Don't worry, Tommy. You'll get it. Your Honor, the state of New York concedes the existence of Santa Claus. <laughs> <laughs> I love Mara's face in this uh, in this scene because he just kind of has this pasted on smile and he's like nodding. Yes, I did tell you Santa was mm-hmm. real and shaking his head. Mm-hmm. No, I wouldn't lie to you, Tommy. <laughs> and just kind of smiling. And um, <laughs> it's, uh just this whole scene is is great. I, in in both movies, I kind of they really play up the humor in these scenes, and I thought some um, I like it. It's it's cheesy yeah. as all get out, but I mean these movies, especially the second uh, the remake, are just really uh, honestly they're kind of a, a just a step one step above Hallmark movies. So you got to <laughs> spend disbelief a little bit, which is gonna I think. <laughs> That's kind of showing my hand on on probably both our verdicts, but um, anyway, Mara kind of has to concede the point and says, "Okay, the state concedes that there is a Santa Claus, but but we now call on Mr. Gailey to uh, yeah. you know address Give that is not that proves that yeah Chris that Kringle is not is the the purpose of this hearing. The purpose of this hearing is to decide if that man Chris Kringle deserves to to be committed. Uh, as a danger to society um, because he believes that he is Santa Claus. So just because we can see that there is a Santa Claus does not mean that he is the one and only Santa Claus. And right. so 
Uh, there, here's a and term I thought, where I, I can thought that kind that of was defer good. to you. Go ahead. Yeah, I, go ahead. So I thought this was a good strategy because he's, I, I mean, like, <clears throat> it sort of is kind of a thought exercise. Like, they're getting to this very kind of esoteric stuff. And the the state is saying, he's kind of makes a strategic move. And he's like, well, we don't really need to prove the existence of Santa. It's sort of irrelevant. All we need to do is really prove that this guy is not Santa. So they just say, like, save time. We're not going to. And he's at the same time. For the same kind of political reasons, although it's more like interfamily reasons, he doesn't want to be mm. up there trying to say, no, I'm going to prove there's no sand. Nobody wants to do that because they're all for their own reasons trying to avoid that. So he's thought of a way where he can concede the existence of Santa, but still win his case. And so I liked that. And I will also point out that the judge never dismissed little Tommy. He just uh, scampered yeah. off. So negative no, points yeah. for that. Tommy should still be there <laughs> to this day. Uh, and so Mara um, asks that uh, Gailey uh, prove that Chris is Santa Claus on the basis of competent authority. Um, so are you familiar with that terminology and, and where that comes in? No, I I don't know what they were talking about when they said competent authority. Okay. Uh, Wikipedia is telling me that a competent authority is any person or organization that has the legally delegated or invested mm-hmm. authority, capacity, or power to perform a designated function. So basically, somebody with enough authority to rule on the matter has to say that San- that Chris is Santa Claus um, in order to prove to the state's satisfaction that Chris yeah. is indeed who he says he is. I mean, I figured it out from the context for the rest of the right, movie, yeah. but I had not. I was not familiar with that, mm-hmm. and I didn't okay. think to look it up. Right. Um, so later that night, uh, Susan and Doris are talking, and Susan confesses that she really does believe that Chris is Santa Claus. And um, Doris says that well, unfortunately, um, a lot of other people don't, and uh, doesn't doesn't. Um, dismiss what Susan says and doesn't try to tell her that she's wrong, which is, you know, telling at this point. And so Mm -hmm. Susan says, well, I'm going to write him a letter to cheer him up because you said that he's sad. And it's just, just really sweet. I really thought, um, I really like Natalie Wood as Susan in this film. And I also, I thought Maureen O'Hara as Doris did a really good job of, of making you like her and making you feel for her. Even, even though this character is not the most, um, the most accessible and the most, I guess, uh, she's not she's not the one that you necessarily are um, inclined to get behind because she is such a skeptic and such a cynic. Right. And right. Um, but but she still, you know, why she is that way, and you uh, you still like her. I think that Marino Hero walked that line very very well. Um, but the, the, this is one of the the sweet moments in the film between the two of them. And after Susan writes her letter, before Doris mails it, she also writes, I believe in you, too, and signs it, which is a, mm-hmm. obviously a big turning point for her. And so then it, uh, you see the letter go through the process until it ends up with um, a worker at the post office who looks at the letter and he kind of laughs and says, hey, this is the first time we've had a Santa letter addressed to uh, you know the New York courthouse. And right. his coworker comes over and says, well, they're right. Look, it's all over the news. You know, they're, they're, uh, they've got him down there and they're trying to get him committed. <laughs> and now the worker's like, huh, how many, uh, how many Santa letters do Bags we have in our dead, dead, in letters. dead letters department? Yeah. And he's like, well, we got, you know, 
thousands of them. And he says, let's, uh, let's load them up. Send, send them on, uh, send them on to, uh, to this Kringle fella at the, uh, at the courthouse. I mean, why should we have to deal with those? Uh, you know, we have Santa right here. Let's give him his letters basically. Yep. And, um, then cut to the the trial uh, scene three of the tri- of the hearing rather, and Gailey is discouraged and um, uh, Mara at one point is looking at the team and he's like look at him he doesn't he doesn't have anything and uh, Gailey's discouraged because he hasn't been able to get any competent authority to uh, support that Chris is Santa Claus, but Chris mm-hmm. doesn't care because he's got. Um, He's got Susan and Doris's letter, and he says this means more to me than any you know any authority that you could find. And right. uh, Gailey is still like, well, yeah, you can see on his face, well, yeah, but it's <laughs> it doesn't really help me. And <laughs> then somebody comes in and starts talking to him while uh, Mara is looking at his team and saying he doesn't have anything. And uh, Gailey gets up and follows this guy out, and um, then you see. Uh, it, it, almost like a closing argument, uh, Mara is standing up and talking to the judge about how they haven't been able to prove anything, and so unfortunately, we kind of have to. Um, I urge you to make this ruling that um, you know that Chris Kringle, this man who says he is Chris Kringle, is is unsafe and and should be committed. But then um, Gailey comes back in, and uh, I forget is he uh, the the judge asks him if he has any <clears throat> any further support. Oh no! I think Mara says he doesn't have any, you know, any further evidence or any authority, and uh, Gailey's like, "Actually, there's, I do." There's a scene where the state is arguing in the courthouse without Gailey there, and I can't remember. Again, my notes are not very complete. Was that in this mm-hmm. part of leading into this? Because I just wanted to point out that that would be also not. You can't. Uh, Make I arguments think that is. to the judge without another party present, and I think that mm-hmm. leads into this. But that is like a another. Yeah, big, it, it is. No, no. Uh, that that is. It does lead into this scene where where okay. Mara is talking to the judge and basically giving an argument, and Gailey's not even in the courtroom. Yeah. So. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Is this is this because yeah because he hasn't like he's he's late because he's doing his surprise or well, whatever. He, but they're he, like he walked out. Yeah, he walked out with the postal <laughs> right. worker guy and hasn't come back. That's yet. right. So, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, okay, so continue, continue. And so, yeah, then he comes in with his surprise, and he says, you know, I have um, – uh, he starts to talk about the post office and the um, – you know, how how successful they are when they were established, how right. um, uh, how much of an authority they are. And right. Mara's like – To meet like, that well, test yeah, from earlier. I'm sure we've all been been elucidated, you know, by, by – this report on the post office, uh, and and yes, the state will will exceed that uh, the post office is um, a hallowed and authoritative uh, organization that doesn't have anything to do with this. And right. uh, Gailey's like, actually, it does. I have three letters here from the post office that are addressed to Santa, and the post office just delivered them to Mr. Kringle. And right. Mara's like, well, three letters doesn't really, you know, that doesn't really mean anything. And the judge basically tells Gailey, if you have any other evidence, put it here on my desk. Mm-hmm. And Gailey's like, are you sure, Your Honor? Okay. And the judge says, on my desk. And Gailey just kind of looks at him, and the judge is like, <clears throat> put it on my desk. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, so uh, Gailey turns around and waves to somebody, and uh, 
workers start dragging bags and bags of envelopes yeah. in and dumping them Sacks on a judge's desk. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm guessing that kind of thing probably wouldn't happen quite that way in a real courtroom. No, no, I don't. I don't think that the <laughs> coming in and dumping letters on the on the judge's desk that's not um, not not how evidence gets introduced usually. Yeah, I mean, this whole thing about like introducing different evidence, it doesn't really seem like this all follows because this is brand new evidence that they just got. So it wouldn't it, it mm-hmm. hasn't been run by anybody or anything. It, yeah, I don't I mean, it, like, it just seems kind of weird. I don't know how <laughs> this would work where the judge because I, I mean, like I he did make a ruling that he wanted him to go out and find. Like he gave him this window, this recess. I'm mm, I, okay. If you want to get this specific type of evidence to for me, so I don't really, I'm not sure how something like that would work. But um, you wouldn't cer- certainly, you wouldn't just come and dump it on the judge's desk on yeah. his like on his gavel. Well, to um, I guess to to kind of close up this this part of the uh, the episode, uh, since we are already approaching the hour and a half mark, um. The judge says, well, if the U.S. federal government, uh, by virtue of the post office, has acknowledged that Chris Kringle is the one and only Santa Claus by delivering these letters, then the state of New York will not, um, you know, will not uh, counteract that. And he says, case dismissed. <laughs> yep. Your Honor, every one of these letters is addressed to Santa Claus. The post office has delivered them. Therefore, the post office department, a branch of the federal government, recognizes this man, Chris Kringle, to be the one and only Santa Claus. Uh, Since the United States government declares this man to be Santa Claus, this court will not dispute it. Case dismissed. And he does not make a ruling. He just says dismissed, throws it out, basically. Right. And um, so uh, Chris and is much free. joy and mirth. Yes, which is a good thing because it's Christmas Eve, <laughs> and um, so he can't go to dinner, unfortunately. But he said that the um, the home will be uh, having a Christmas Day feast, and he would love to have Doris and Susan and Mister Gailey over for that, and so. They all go over there, and uh, you see Susan run inside and run to the tree and start looking for something to do with the present that she asked Chris for. And mm-hmm. she's disappointed and very disheartened because she doesn't see anything there. But her mom tells her that sometimes um, faith means believing in people, even if your common sense tells you that maybe you shouldn't. And... So you see Susan talking to herself through through the party, saying, I believe, I believe. It's silly, but I believe. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, Chris uh, comes to her and says, well, I suppose that means you won't really want to talk to me. And she says, well, it just means you're not really Santa Claus. You're just a nice old man with whiskers, like my mom said. And Doris tells her that she was wrong when she said that. And that's when she gives her the, you know, the spiel about faith and, and everything. And... um <clears throat> they then leave. Uh, they're they're about to go home, and Mr. Kringle gives them directions gives them because directions. he says, "Yeah, this this is how you can avoid some traffic." And they pass by. Uh, they're driving through this neighborhood, and at some point, Susan just yells, um, "Uncle Fred, stop, stop!" Which 
a little weird to me that she's calling him Uncle Fred. But anyway, <laughs> right. um, stop, stop, get, stop the car. And they're like, wait, what? What's going on? So he stops the car and she just gets out and runs up to this house with a for sale sign uh-huh. in front. Yeah. And they run inside and, of course, rightly are like, what's going on? <laughs> they, say something, they say something like, you've got to stop running into strange houses. Like, this is something that happens all the time. The way they phrased it made me laugh really hard. <laughs> yeah. And, and at one point, Doris like calls up the stairs to her like, young lady, get down this instant. <laughs> <laughs> you, um, yeah, you got. Yeah, I think that's what she says. You've got to stop running into strange houses. And so she runs downstairs, runs to the back door, and they're like, "Where are you going now?" And she says, "I want to see if there's a swing. There is one. There is one." And that line I remembered. I guess I had seen that part of it, like on TV or something, at some point. Yeah, I distinctly remember little Susan at the back door jumping up and down, saying, "There is one. There is one." And um, so she she comes up and says, "Mr. Kringle is Santa Claus," and. She kind of runs off again, and uh, Gailey looks at uh, at Doris and says, "Well, we uh, we can't. Um, it says it's for sale. We can't disappoint her." And he says something about how um, you know he must be a great lawyer since I, I you know I took this this little old man and uh, proved that that he was Santa. And um, then they look over in the corner and they see a cane sitting mm-hmm. in the corner that looks just like Chris's. And then he says, well, maybe, maybe what I did wasn't so incredible after all. So, um, yeah, that's a little bit of an undercut to the whole thing where he, he believed. But again, like I said before, I think, um, he believed in Chris and Chris's mission, even if he didn't necessarily believe that Chris was literally Santa, but, but yeah, now it's like, huh, maybe, maybe he is a little seed of doubt. Yeah. (laughs) Reasonable doubt. Would you say? I, I would I would say that's very reasonable doubt in this situation. All right. Then we can't convict him then. The sign outside said it's for sale. We can't let her down. I never really doubted you. It was just my silly common sense. It even makes sense to believe in me now. I must be a pretty good lawyer. I'd take a little old man and legally prove to the world that he's Santa Claus. Now you know that. No, it can't be. It must have been left here by the people that moved out. Maybe. Maybe I didn't do such a wonderful thing after all. So, before we uh, before we get to our verdicts, do you want to talk a little about um, some of the differences in the 1994 version of the film? So, it's there. there are weird things that stood out to me. Like we mentioned earlier, the changing of the cast, uh, not the cast, the characters' names. I don't, I'm not sure what purpose it served because Judge Harper is still the same. Although I don't remember if his first name is the same, but Doris went, became Doreen and, uh, you got Ed Collins, Brian Bedford instead of, uh, yes. Yeah, in the 1994 version, which again is the one I grew up with, I've seen it so many times I probably didn't even have to watch it for this episode. Um, <laughs> Chris Kringle is played by Richard Attenborough, who mm-hmm. um, is he also famous for. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, famous for around the same time playing John Hammond, uh, who founded Jurassic Park. And I, I have to say, Attenborough does a fantastic job in this movie. I really, really like uh-huh. his Santa. Um, uh, Doreen um, is played by Elizabeth Perkins, who we last saw in From the Hip. Uh, uh, she played the love interest of the main character. Um, oh man, I Brian forgot Bedford, about that. Yeah, Brian Bedford, the attorney and the love interest, is uh, play, uh, who replaces um, Fred uh, Gailey, is um, played by Dylan McDermott of Will and Grace mm-hmm. fame. Uh, the district attorney, um, who in this movie is named Collins, is that Collins? That Collins? Yeah, mm-hmm. I think so. Um, I think he's Collins. You already mentioned him. He is played by J.T. Walsh who we just saw in The Devil's Advocate. Right. No, we didn't. This is who I get mixed up. Um, the Devil's Advocate, that was the the guy who does the shredding session. I have to look that up Oh, now. right, yeah. Uh, what is his name? But they do look similar. Uh, yeah, they do look similar. Um, but the other guy is also the principal in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Um, uh-huh. uh, Jeffrey Jones as Eddie Barzoon. So... Jeffrey Jones and J.T. Walsh, not the same person, <laughs> but Mm-mm. similar uh, looking. But, yeah, similar looking, uh, played by J.T. Walsh, um, and then the judge is played by well, uh, the judge's name in this one is Judge, uh, still Judge Henry Harper, um, and he is played by Robert Prosky, who is um, a character actor, and. Um, was in a couple of different, uh, he was in Broadcast News, Christine, The Natural, so a couple of movies throughout the 80s. Um, but mm-hmm. uh, I, I really like his character in the film. Uh, he has a little bit more of a, of a presence throughout the film. Um, but Susan Walker uh, is played by Mara Wilson, um, who was also, at, uh, even at this point, famous for Mrs. Doubtfire. Um, a couple mm-hmm. of years later, went on to do Matilda, um, and uh, so she was a pretty prominent child actress in the mid to late 90s and um, still doing some work now, not as much um, in front of the camera anymore, but she is still involved in Hollywood. Um, and I thought also that she did uh, she did a great job as um, as Susan. But having liked yeah, most of the I movies agree. she was in, you know, I, uh, I really like her as an actress. So. Um, but, yeah, so those are the uh, the casting differences. Um not sure why they changed the names so much. Um, I actually do know why they changed the names of the stores. Uh, Macy's actually just officially of, they didn't want said, them to. <laughs> yeah, Macy's officially said we feel the original stand on, stands on its own and could not be improved upon, and so they say you know that they don't they didn't want to be involved. And Gimbel's had gone out of business by the time this came out, and so uh, Shoppers Express was invented to be the um, much more nefarious uh, rival to Kohl's, which is the fictional store that replaced Macy's. So mm-hmm. in the original, you had Macy's versus Gimbel's, and this one you have Kohl's uh, and even harder versus Shoppers Express. Right. That's interesting. So plot-wise, there uh, isn't a whole lot of difference here. Um, I think the major difference is that uh, the antagonist or a shoppers express is much more antagonistic in this film. They definitely mm-hmm. uh, try to poach Chris from Coles <clears throat> and um, they, at one point uh, instead of Sawyer being involved, there is no like internal 
um, assessments that happens to Chris at Kohl's. But instead, Chopper's Express goes to the um, the disgraced drunk Santa from the, the Macy's Parade, whose mm-hmm. name in this film, he actually has a name, is uh, Tony Falacci. And he is played by uh, Jack he, McGee. He looks like Meatloaf. <laughs> he, does, he does look like Meatloaf. Hey! Hey! Can I get another beer? But at Coles, they dealt me the high, hard one. I did a good job for them last year. And this year, they gave me the, the royal fist. So they just gave you the shaft. They didn't have any grounds on which to dismiss you. That broad that runs the parade every year? I mean, one of these college kids with a three-ounce brain and 50 tons of attitude? <laughs> she hires some wacko right off the street to take my place. Some wacko? Tell me about him. The old man? He's alone. I mean, we got thousands of them in this city. I'll say. Never had one of them take my job, though. Hey, Tony, did you have any contact with this old guy? Contact? The guy come up on the float. He got right up in my face. So he got aggressive with you? He had a cane. He tried to whack me over the head with the cane. He tried to whack you with the cane? Isn't that what I just said? Tony, this will make you feel better. Got a little job I want you to do for me. Uh, what the kind of job you have in mind? You'll see. Who again is labeled as a character actor who has appeared in over a hundred films and television series. Um, I can't particularly place him, um, but let me see. I recognize him, but the... I couldn't name any movies he's in. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, he's one of those. Um, uh-huh. He was in such classics as Jungle to Jungle and The Flintstones and Viva Rock Vegas. Oh, boy. <laughs> he's been in a whole lot of TV shows. Um, currently, it looks like, or most recently, season 19 of NCIS. <laughs> that was in 2022, this year. That was his latest role in anything. So, um, yeah, still acting. Uh, Jack McGee, Drunk Santa, uh, Tony Falachi. And yeah, Shoppers Express um, get him to get him to um, uh, accost and antagonize Chris while Chris is on his way uh, home from Cole's one night. And uh, mm-hmm. he actually he accuses him, <clears throat> accuses Chris of grooming children and of uh, uh, essentially being a pedophile. And uh, then he he makes the comment that kids aren't really good for anything else, are they? And at that point, Chris turns him around and strikes him with his cane. And mm-hmm. the two Shoppers Express employees who originally tried to um, recruit Chris then pretend to be witnesses to the assault. Right. And uh, um, ask bystanders to call the police. And uh, Chris is arrested yeah. and um, is taken into custody. And <laughs> they say, like, oh, my God, it's Cole's Santa. Your Cole's Santa Claus. Cole Santa Claus <laughs> and yes. oh man like the acting in this movie is already not phenomenal um Elizabeth Perkins was much better in From the Hip which is saying something mm-hmm. um and uh uh I have to say side note I do I do like Elizabeth Perkins I thought that her um role in in Big uh as 
troublesome as it kind of is when you consider who Tom Hanks is in that movie. I thought Elizabeth Perkins was really good in Big. Um, she does not make a very likable Doreen Walker in this movie. Um, yeah, Dory in this film is not is not nearly as uh, I still can't think of the word I'm looking for, but you don't feel for her as much as you do Doris um, when uh, O'Hara played her in the original. I have to say, I've never really liked Dory very much, even though I I have a lot of nostalgia for this movie. Um, Brian is fine. He's affable. He's likable. Dylan McDermott is, uh, you know, he's pretty, so I don't mind. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, so that's really the only difference is the way that they get Santa locked up um, until you get into the trial and how Brian's approach is different from Fred's approach in the original movie. So I will I will say there is one other minor oh, difference that I couldn't figure out why. Uh, they changed the the Dutch girl into a girl who's deaf. Oh, so Santa does sign, sign language, language instead of speaking Dutch. I yeah, I don't really and know. I wasn't sure why they made that either, change, but I, I I like it. I think both of them are impactful. But uh, first of all, the deaf girl is really stinking cute. Um, and I, I looked it up at one point. Please correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that she really was uh, a deaf child actress. And uh, it was that was really, really cool. And I uh, I think Attenborough uh, and the sadness that you see in his face at the this child having mm-hmm. having to to struggle with this. It, it's just it's it's really moving. Um, again, Attenborough is just the the shining light in this film. I love him so much as as Chris Kringle. But yeah, um, right. Definitely worthy. Uh, noteworthy difference, I think. I can't think of anything else really major. They change the names, they change the antagonist, and they change the deaf girl. There are a few just minor yeah. things that I, I didn't know why. Like it, it, when she, when Doreen, when she first meets Chris Kringle in the original, like Chris Kringle comes up to her and they start talking. But in the remake, he, he's just like walking down the street and she, and she oh, just yeah. like notices he, he him. He actually does. He accosts Falachi, but then he... Then mm-hmm. he walks away, like in right. disgust, and Dory actually chases him down. Yeah, and she's like, "Oh, look that!" Yeah. She's like looking, and she just happens to see an old guy who's Santa, and he's like, "I need you." So there's like minor things like that that probably there's not too many need too much a need to dwell on them. They also spend they spend more time on Dorian and Brian's relationship mm-hmm. in this movie than they did on Doris and Fred's in the yeah. original. Um, which I guess to make it more marketable in that, you know, romantic comedy era of the uh-huh. mid nineties. Um, but I, I didn't love it. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't because um, I couldn't get behind Dory very much. I just, I, I didn't really enjoy that part. Um, but uh, yeah, that's kind of the main difference um, again, except for the legal right. stuff. So why don't you go ahead and get into the uh, Brian's legal approach in the okay. remake version, and then we can we can get to our so verdicts. So I, I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but we start with the same issue of Chris being involuntarily committed with no hearing, nothing. This actually is pretty closely mirrored the original, where the state comes in, and actually, so this is there is a, a minor difference here where the state attorney. Rather than there being a political advisor telling the judge, don't get involved, the state attorney is kind of like 
well, you know, I work for... Does he work for the same... He's got, like, the money is coming from the rival department store. And he's like, we can really contribute to your campaign. So, kind of... Oh, yes. Yeah. Um, he. Yeah, I think he was actually retained by Shoppers Express uh-huh, or something right. like that and says... Uh, your Honor, do you have a moment for Ed Collins? <laughs> Said to me. <laughs> Thanks, Gordon. How are you, Eddie? What can I do for you? How are you? Fine. Oh, just the uh, commitment papers for the cold Santa. Oh, boy. That's a shocker, huh? Press is having a field day. Age unknown. Old man, is he? Very old, Your Honor. <laughs> Am I going to have to read all this? No, it's a slam dunk. The guy's out of his mind. <laughs> We'd like it over quick. We. Oui. Victor. Victor. Lamberg. Oh, yeah. Well, justice will have to prevail, of course. Oh, of course. (laughs) Yes, justice will have to prevail. As always. Money makes the world go round, Eddie. (laughs) Yes, it does, Your Honor, it sure does. And oh, by the way, Mr. Lamberg wanted me to tell you that he's very well aware of your uh, re-election campaign coming up this spring. Tell him I would welcome his support. Will do. Come in. Uh, Mr. Bedford's here to see you. Who? He represents Mr. Kringle. Send him in. Your Honor, there seems to be some undue haste in this case. I wish to protect my client's rights, as I'm sure you do. Mr. Prosecutor, this is... uh... Brian Bedford. If Your Honor, please, I request a formal hearing where I may bring witnesses. You can sign the commitment papers now if you like, but I'll bring in habeas corpus this afternoon. We'll have a hearing. Thursday morning, 9 a.m. Thank you, sir. Mr. Collins. Mr. Bedford. I thought you said the old man didn't have an attorney. What difference does it make? It's going to be a hearing, not a jury trial. You're the only one that has to be convinced. Mm. <laughs> have a good day, Judge. But yes, yeah, basically, um, cha-ching, cha-ching. Right, um, right. They were big donators to the judge and and are looking forward to his next uh, campaign, yep. to supporting them in the next campaign. Right. Um, have to mention also... Uh, Victor Landberg is the CEO of Shoppers Express, and he is the most cartoonishly evil villain. Yeah, it's so, so <laughs> stupid. Uh, He's not shot with lights on in, so in the entire the movie. Top. He's always in a dark room. Hello? Jack? Yes, sir. I've been watching the parade. It looks bigger than last year. What is the crowd estimate? Well, sir, cops say over a million. Last year it was about 750. Have marketing come up with a giveaway, something free. I don't want a crowd outside Coles in the morning. Uh, I hate to say this, Mr. Lamberg, but Coles has got one hell of a Santa Claus this year. If I didn't know better, I'd say he was the real article. 
Keep an eye on this, Mr. Duff. These small, seemingly insignificant, sentimental anachronisms can be surprisingly potent. I don't want my plans damaged by an elderly cherub in a red suit. I'm on it, sir. He's not. Uh, and he's got this this deep and very British uh, delivery of all of his lines. And he is not intimidated by a fanciful cherub in a red suit. And, uh, you know, the, the delusions of, of the masses. And <laughs> just, it was so, oh, it's, it's so... It's it's so bad it's good and the the scenery chewing that he does is just it always makes me smile it's so funny <laughs> but yeah go ahead um yeah the, there's there's evidence of uh, shenanigans right. yeah. going on with uh, the yeah the attorney and the so, judge yeah. oh also one uh-huh. one other minor minor difference the introduction um they are uh, uh the the judge we the guy we find out later is the judge is standing on the oh, corner yeah, with right. his grandson and um. Chris walks up beside them at the very start and, of the uh, movie. The, the son is like at the very start of the movie. Um, and the grandson is like pulling on his grandpa's coat and says, ask him, grandpa, ask him. And the judge, who we don't know is the judge yet turns and says, I'm, I'm, I'm very sorry. He, he thinks you're Santa Claus. And, uh, Chris just kind of pauses for a second and then just starts laughing. And then while the judge is laughing, he leans down and very quietly says, I am. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then uh, kind of stands up and he smiles at both of them and nods and walks off. And the judge kind of gives him a weird look. And mm-hmm. that's really yeah. it. <laughs> but so the judge, we've seen him before. And um, Chris makes a, there's some kind of note that Chris remembers the judge from earlier. And uh, the judge is kind of taken a little yeah. bit back by that. But it's very brief. I just thought that was it, worth mentioning. It actually, I thought it was an interesting reaction because uh, Chris Kringle is going to take the stand in the courtroom scene. He says, nice to see you again judge or something like that how's your grandson and i guess i guess the implication is that he's like threatening him like a mob boss or something like hey how's your family huh (laughs) be ashamed if i got committed i could definitely hear hear that and he the judge kind of shoots him a look sort of like that but i i i don't know it was it was to me that was a very weird exchange and i'm not sure what it was trying to achieve i i know that like part of the first movie was showing how friendly and affable Chris Kringle is. And he would, you know, he's shaking hands with everyone and introducing himself to everyone in the courthouse and stuff. But um, mm-hmm. the another common theme in the courtroom scenes is that Chris Kringle has more like actual craziness about him. Like he talks about doing things with the Easter Bunny and he talks about his invisible fortress where he makes toys and things like that, that there's more uh, like... Yeah. You know, objective evidence. There were times when I could get home and still have time for a round of golf with Mr. <laughs> right, Bunny. Exactly. And uh, um, at one point, they bring a reindeer mm-hmm. into the courtroom, and um, and the the prosecutor asks uh, Chris to make him fly, and Chris says, uh, "Well, I would very much like to uh, to um, humor Mr. Collins, but uh, I cannot make this reindeer fly." And Collins is like, "Yeah, I I, I didn't think so." Chris says, "He only flies on Christmas Eve." <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> But yes, um, well, uh, of, of course, the uh, you know they bring in a military man um, who has been on several expeditions mm-hmm. to or over the the North Pole and has never seen anything. And um, it's actually one of my wife's favorite lines. Kringle says, "Well, well, of course the colonel wouldn't have seen my workshops. They're, they're invisible. They don't exist in the real world. They're in mm-hmm. the dream world." 
I always thought that was perfectly <laughs> right, understood. Right. So that <laughs> yeah, there's like a, that. A, a comment you mentioned the kernel that um, I, I'm kind of going out of order, but well, I guess I guess I'll, I'll wait. I'll come back to it. So the I mean, like the basic framework is kind of the same in both trials. the The gist is he wants to he he comes up and admits right away yes i'm i'm santa claus and the state is kind of like <laughs> you know rubbing their hand dusting their hands saying mission accomplished and the defense is like oh yeah. no the state rests right. your honor just very very much more much more uh-huh. hammed up than a lot of the lines and the beats are actually yes. identical yes. to the original version but they're they're much more yep actually overt. there's the same yeah. the same really- you're under oath reminder is in both movies like the interjection now I'll remind you you're on mm-hmm. a road i don't know i can't remember if it's at the same time when they're interviewing um the cole mr cole in this one rather than mr macy but i the, i do note that it's it's in both times and in fact you get the same moving right up to the witness and all that stuff they actually don't interview Mr. Cole in this one. Oh, right. The, he just says the when, video. When that happens, yeah, yeah. They're they're interviewing um a Catholic priest. That's right. About that's right. Um about the the church's stance on right. Santa Claus and Saint Nicholas. Mm-hmm. And um at this point it actually is Collins who is um who is questioning the priest when he reminds him that he's under oath. Which still um, is improper. <laughs> but it's yeah, you know, I guess yeah. less so when it's your own witness, kind of, but I mean, it's not really, but it still is, but mm-hmm. marginally better. <laughs> yeah, and the the kid that they bring up is actually just kind of some random kid who went to right. see Santa, yeah. um, and then instead of um, Collins's son, it's actually Collins's wife who is called to the stand, mm-hmm. um, and who uh, tells um, tells the court when asked if she is the one who told their their kids um, that Santa is real, and that took. Um, them to see Mr. Kringle and said that he was Santa uh, when asked if she's the one who told the kids that Mr. Kringle is Santa. She says, well, actually, my husband did. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. Ed Collins, the prosecuting attorney. Right. And so, yeah, um, that's another kind of difference in the the proceedings. The So in the first movie, uh, basically, the U.S. Postal Service is the authority that mm-hmm. says Chris is Santa and then the judge doesn't dispute that. And there's also not really much of an issue at all. The state um, concedes that they're, that Santa Claus is real. So in this movie, neither one of those things really happens. Uh, right. There is a scene with, with letters coming in from the post office, but there is no finding um, that Santa Claus is or is not real mm-hmm. um, on, on the basis of, like... A, a, a really evidence presented. Right. Um, and the but, court gives him a recess for the state to sort of like get some, I can't remember their phrasing, but it was like, give you conclusive evidence to disprove Santa, I think is how they, I might be missing yeah, um, a little bit. The, the, they have the same exchange where Collins uh, says uh, that, that Bedford can't, prove that Santa exists and Bedford shoots back and says, well, I, I challenged Mr. Collins to prove that Santa doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. And Collins in this movie, Collins takes him up on, on the challenge and says, right. um, I'll do that. Your honor, give me a recess. And yeah. you can see at this point, the judge is just like, this has totally gotten away from me. I've lost control of this case. <laughs> yeah. And I will say, here's but, another point yeah. that is just totally ridiculous. He gives him an eight hour recess and somehow the state attorney has 
flown in and prepared two expert witnesses, including a high-ranking military officer and a high-ranking mm-hmm. member of, I think it was, was it the Catholic Church or something? Or what was the... It and, is, yeah. And then yeah. there's a third, like, his, historian who talks about... Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that's ridiculous. <laughs> you just called him, yeah, called him on his way home. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. Uh, um, sorry, I kind of... Andy rustles up a reindeer. That's right. Um, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> but in the end, what sways the judge is that uh, on the morning when he's about to give his um, his ruling, and you can tell he doesn't really want to, he, he actually has a that. meeting yeah. the night before. And, but the two yeah. of them... He has a meeting the night before with, with Brian. Which um, is which inappropriate. Also, yeah, inappropriate. Uh, Brian is in the courtroom waiting for the judge to come out of his chambers, and... Uh, um, basically, kind of a, a, appeals to him with nobody else there. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Come on, what, like, like, really? Let's, you know. And the judge doesn't want to commit Chris, but he can't see any way yeah. around it. He says, "I can't, as as a representative of the state, get up there and rule that there is a Santa Claus." You know. Actually, and, what he says is, "I can't make that argument," which is oh incorrect. Judges don't make arguments. And also, he says, "Yeah, I don't want." I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to rule against your client. I think is what he says, which again is not mm-hmm. proper for. I mean, I guess it's a little bit, a little bit softer. Like I, I guess you could pro- probably there's some room for a judge to say I like express sympathy for someone's position or whatever. But the judge can't mm-hmm. say I can't make that argument because they don't make arguments. They are the referee. They are there to listen. Yeah. But go ahead and Brian continue. calls him out and says, it's about money, isn't it? Which, uh-huh. of course, is a callback to, you know, the meeting when Collins talked right. about um, Shoppers Express uh, donating to the judge, judge's campaign. And the judge turns around and kind of takes offense to it and is like, you know, um, uh, basically is like, well, you can't. I, I don't remember exactly what he says, but he's... Uh, says, this is this is unfortunate, but this is the way it's going to be. And then he yeah. leaves. But... Um, he Brian then is looking at his money clip and the camera kind of zooms in on it and there's meaningful music that plays and then cut to the next morning when the judge is about to give his ruling and Susan Walker uh, get, gets up she and just, uh, starts walking it, up to the, the uh, to bench. During, just, in yep. open court, this little girl walks yep. right up to the judge and, hand, and no one says anything. And it's not like and they were like in, a, in awe or whatever. Hands him an envelope. They, yeah, just no one gives a okay. And <laughs> gonna have to throw a gavel pretty, sound in there. <laughs> I was pretty frustrated with the movie at this point, so yeah, uh, I was just like, "Oh my god, whatever." So yeah, she walks up, gives him an envelope, and the judge opens the envelope, and inside is a card with a dollar bill in it, and the dollar bill has "In God We Trust" circled on the back. Merry Christmas. I'm not going to be needing that. The young lady who just approached the bench presented me with this Christmas card and this. It's a $1 bill. It's going to be returned to her shortly. But by presenting me with this bill, she reminded me of the fact that it's issued by the Treasury of the United States of America. And it's backed by the government and the people of the United States of America. Upon inspection of the article, you will see the words, in God we trust. And we're not here to prove that uh, God exists, but we are here to prove that a being just as invisible and yet just as present 
exists. Federal government puts its trust in God. It does so on faith and faith alone. It's the will of the people that guides the government. And it is and was their collective faith in a greater being that gave and gives cause to the inscription on this bill. Now, if the government of the United States can issue its currency bearing a declaration of trust in God without demanding physical evidence of the existence or the non-existence of a greater being, then the state of New York, by a similar demonstration of the collective faith of its people, can accept and acknowledge that Santa Claus does exist, and he exists in the person of Chris Pringle. Case dismissed. <laughs> Case dismissed. Santa Claus wins. And then um, he knocks the gavel a couple of times and with a, a smile of intense relief says case dismissed. And right. that part always made my dad chuckle. <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, the rest of it kind of goes basically the same way the first movie did. Um, and this one, Susan had asked Chris for a father and a brother. And um, so you find out that uh, the night before the trial, basically, mm-hmm. with the same priest who had been on the stand, um, Chris arranges oh, man, for... Oh, uh, I did not even Dory, recognize that. <laughs> yeah, Dory and Brian to get married. <laughs> and so they got married the night before. Uh, Susan wakes up on Christmas morning, and Brian's there, and they have rings on, and she's like... <gasps> and so then they go out and find out that, they, um, that Dory was given a house as her Christmas bonus. And so they go into the house, and... Um, she uh, Susan is like, well, there's no doubt about it. He's real. And then they ask, well, what else did you ask Chris for? And she says, a baby brother. See ya. And then she runs up the stairs. <laughs> and mm-hmm. they kind of look at each other. And they look down at Dory's belly. And then they look up at Susan. And um, they kiss. And that's the end of the movie. Yep. Yeah. Um, so, I guess with, uh, <laughs> with that, we will go ahead and get into our the verdicts. Verdict. And I think it's probably kind of a given uh, where you're going to go with this. So why don't you go ahead and go first again this time? Okay. Um, how do you uh, how do you adjudicate these two movies? So I'm going to do something a little bit interesting here. I am going to do a split a split decision. I am going to find the original to be not guilty and the remake to be guilty because on my notes here. Now, so I don't go blow by blow and do literally every single thing and in in, in score it, but I don't have a single note in the remake that is a correctly done or like accurately done legal thing. But in the initial <laughs> movie, there are a few things that are plausible or correct mixed in. And my main takeaway is I thought that it is so incredibly clever the way that the hearing is run because all these characters have very like concrete, discrete motivations and things they want to do. And their decision-making and arguments are very clearly informed by their position and done in a very smart and clever way. The judge doesn't want to lose re-election, which in and of itself is a good point because that is something that happens. In fact, I can anecdotally say I have a friend who was a staff attorney who worked for another judge 
and there was a party that the judge felt if they ruled against would be bad for their re-election. So they said, and I'm paraphrasing, something like, this is the decision that I want to come to, and I want to do as little to offend this party as possible, so see if we can do that because I'm worried about my re-election, essentially. So th- that all that stuff is very accurate, and I appreciated that the judge was like, you could tell they were within the bounds mm-hmm. of the law, I mean, kind of, trying to, like like you mentioned about, now, just a reminder, you don't have to testify at all. And, I, you know, I don't know whether or not... <laughs> in a hearing it's probably not appropriate but for the character it was it was good Mm -hmm. and the attorney did some also similar things were like well i if i concede this point i can still make my case and i don't have to be the person who argues that santa isn't real and the ultimate legal finding at the end was based on a very explicit factual thing that they were able to make a clever argument saying this letter it came from the post office therefore it is some evidence that this person is santa claus i liked all of that all of that went out the window for the for the remake it was just <laughs> the judge is just like oh a dollar yeah santa is real uh. so from <laughs> i love the way I, you put that i, I so, know i know you like the I know you like the remake. I'm going to crap on your nostalgia, mm-hmm. but I after That's I watched right. the movie, I I turned to my wife and I said, "This is the worst remake I've ever seen of any movie." <laughs> That's how little I like wow. it compared to the original. I thought the original wow. was uh <laughs> so much better, and I just did not like the the remake at all. If I watched him in reverse order, maybe it wouldn't have been as well uh, and stark. again kind of like me if you would if you had watched it first as a oh, kid definitely. and kind yes, of wrote up sure. with it for yeah sure um I, I yeah i i agree and I, you're gonna be a lot more clear-eyed in in that sense than i am um i'll get to my my scores in a moment but before i do that what oh, I is to your the sentence sentence yes so yes. well obviously the original is free and clear but for the mm-hmm. miracle on 34th street 1994 edition i sentence you to one stocking full of coal. That was, man, great minds think alike. That was exactly <laughs> what I was thinking. So, uh, bravo, counselor. I will, I will not dispute your, uh, your, your sentencing. Um, so yeah, I, I will go on record saying that I unashamedly love uh, the 1994 version of Miracle on 34th Street. Um, I grew up with it. I think that Richard Attenborough is a delight as Santa Claus. Well, I agree um, with you about that. Uh, I think he did a great uh, job being yeah. like the jelly Santa, for sure. Mm-hmm. I think that um, that Mara Wilson as Susan is also just just wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I Again, I've never liked... Never liked Dory just very much. I didn't think she was very sympathetic, but I thought that she was an effective character. And um, Dylan McDermott is just he, very pretty guy. Um, I, I don't have any any uh, objections to to him in this film. And it's a feel good movie. Like it's very very nice. Uh, it is. Um, it's really uplifting, a uh, very sentimental film in every sense of the word. And that is very different from the original, which, as you said, is um, it's a lot more black and white, uh, mm-hmm. literally. Um, <laughs> it, is, uh, it is more concrete. And um, there's a gravity to it that is not in the newer, more emotional version of it. And I do think, objectively, 
that makes it more effective as a piece of cinema. And I'm going to give the 1947 version of Miracle on 34th Street four out of five stars. I don't think I can go much higher than that because I wasn't blown away by it. I think possibly just because as it being a product of its time, I would say the same thing for the record for um, uh, It's a Wonderful Life, which I think has a lot kind of in common mm-hmm. with, with the movie. I My wife absolutely adores It's a Wonderful Life, and I like it. I think it's a great film. I think it's a great piece of cinema history. Um I would probably actually give It's a Wonderful Life four and a half out of five stars and uh, Miracle on 34th Street four. I will, there will never be a Christmas that goes by when I don't watch the 1994 version of Miracle on 34th Street. I don't know <laughs> if I will ever seek out the 1947 version again. So uh-huh. I will say that. But objectively, I can't go lower than this. I'm going to give the 1994 version of Miracle on 34th Street three stars because of how effective and meaningful I think it can be. Um, it's it's still a good movie, um, in my opinion, but it is objectively not as effective as the original. So, those are my those are my rulings. Well, this, <laughs> well, is, a, rulings. this is a those subjective a subjective star rating. So you're free to give it whatever is in your in your <laughs> Christmas heart. There we go. There we go. Um, so those are our verdicts. And uh, speaking of Christmas, um, I personally would like to wish uh, any of our listeners who celebrate uh, a Merry Christmas. Um, and uh, did I add, I think you may also have a, a wish maybe to send out to people. Sure. And we're recording this on the first night of Hanukkah. So happy Hanukkah to all of you folks out there as well. And any yeah. other and, uh, yes, whatever you celebrate. Uh, Festivus is coming up. Uh, one of the um, the podcasts that I listen to, is a video game music podcast, is the Fusion Academy VGM Club, hosted mm-hmm. by Professor Tom, the faculty sponsor. And at the beginning of his recent episode, um, the 4th of July in December, which I love because it turns the Christmas in July uh, meme on its head, mm-hmm. um, he actually lists off a whole bunch of different holidays that happen in December. <laughs> and um, Christmas is the last one he mentions. But for anybody who is celebrating anything, even if you're just celebrating the end of December and possibly getting a little bit of time off work, um, we wish you the very best. We hope that it's uh, you have a great rest of your year and that 2023 brings you nothing but good things. And uh, I think, if I'm correct, uh, what what is it going to be bringing them in the case of this podcast? Well, I was just assuming we would circle back to the one we missed, if that is agreeable with you. And going back that to is agreeable with the me. verdict, I, I um, have no objections. Yeah, we're going to be watching the uh, the Paul Newman film, The Verdict. Um, my my family situation has uh, is such that I'm going to be spending a little more time with my dad over the next couple of weeks, and so while I'm with him, I'll probably go ahead and watch that film with him. And uh, cool, yeah. Then you and I can talk about that in January to, to start 2023. Oh, one one last thing. Oh, listen, just one more thing. I I was gifted yeah, for my go birthday. Ahead. I was going to ask if you had anything else. I've got Any closing uh, comments. I've got a new book closing from my parents. It's called Real to Real. R E A L to R E E L. Truth and Trickery ah, in Courtroom yes. Movies. And I have read through some of it. And I did look up Miracle on 34th Street to see if there was anything that I could read into, into our record, our court record. Um, it's, it does have an entry for it, but it's like a, it's just like a fairly, for the, for that movie, it's a fairly small one and just kind of like a very bird's eye view review. So I'm not going to do it for this one, but, um, mm-hmm. I'm going to try and okay. try and check it for every movie we do. And see if there's something that I can 
read into the court record from this book if there's anything interesting to contribute. So look forward to that. And uh, thanks, Mom and Dad, for the present. I think that's great. Yeah. Thank you so much, Mr. and Mrs. The Dyad, uh, who um, <laughs> Dyad Senior. Uh, I know have been listening for a while. Yep. <laughs> uh, it is a pleasure hosting the show with your son. Uh, you did a good job. And um, yeah, man, it really is a pleasure. Uh, thank you for doing this with me. I've really enjoyed our, our first year in this little nugget of an idea that Four I had back years. at the beginning of Four uh, more years. Oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see let's work on one more year and um we will start that off with uh, with the verdict in january of 2023 um any other closing remarks counselor no thank you for uh thank you as well you do all the hard work i just i, I barely even have to talk about what happens in the movies i just interject the lost stuff <laughs> Well, you take a lot more notes than I do, and uh, and you did a lot more prep work, uh, more expensive prep work for for your role in this than I did. So, <laughs> so it, it all balances out in the end. The scales of justice balance. Uh-huh. So, um, all right. Well, in that case, I'm Bed Roth, and I'm the Diet. Case closed. I'm Bed Roth. And I'm the Diane. Oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting to see if you would just add on. But yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, it's all right. I, I'm a lawyer, but I'm not very smart. <laughs> Good. Well, you know, it has been a while. It has. It has, it been, has a been a while. while. So, um, all right. Okay. You want to try that again? Yeah. We let's, <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll strike that from the record and, uh, and resume. From, from the beginning. <laughs> Th- thank, thank you, counselor. Thank you. Um, oh, that word keeps dancing around my head. It starts with a C when there's a character who you can really feel for. Um, she is... He is... It's almost... It's like, it's like when you need to sneeze and you can't. Um, I'm going to kick myself later. Anyway. By the way, sorry. The... Uh, the word I was looking for, sympathetic, like the most basic word. Doreen, sure. uh, Doris is is somehow sympathetic, even though she has the same character traits as Doreen, who is decidedly, in my view, unsympathetic. So I finally found I think, my word. I think I've I think I've mixed you up because you were correctly calling her Dory, and I think I wrongly said Doreen, and now you started to do it because I've I've tricked you. So I I do think that Dory. Well, maybe it, maybe it is. I think it's Dory. Uh, I, I was like just finding kind of, Dory. I just I was misspeaking earlier. It, it is Dory. I'm seeing Dory everywhere. I thought Dory was maybe short for Doreen, and that that really was her name at some point. But I I thought that she said Doreen in the movie, but I think I just maybe misheard. Okay. Okay. So and then I was just kind of conflating the two of them. But yeah, Dory um, is is her her name in the Dory movie. I bet Roth, and I'm the Diet. Case dismissed. Wait, no. Case closed. Can't dismiss. Can't go dismissing cases. Case dismissed. Oh, boy. (laughs) Case dismissed. That's what you should just cut in at the end, that clip. (laughs) I got it. Nailed it. Got it. It was the first try. Nothing happened before. Nailed it in one.
Mr. Smith. <laughs>